Welcome, welcome, dear listener, to Weird Rap Episode 4! Yeah, this is an episode about New Kingdom. We're interviewing all three members of New Kingdom. Nosaj, a.k.a. Jason Furlow, Sebastian Laws, a.k.a. Sebstop, etc., and Scott Harding, a.k.a. Scotty Hard. I'm going to do a little talk about optics and white hip-hop journalism. I'm going to recommend some podcasts. And we'll do a new music rundown. That's what you can expect this episode. Uh, We have Weird Rap t-shirts now at weirdrap.com. And yeah, just New Kingdom to me was a really important group. I came across them in 1996 when their album Paradise Don't Come Cheap came out. That was their second album, and it just changed the way I listen to music. I think it stands to this day as a truly unique album, which has a, a just a sound of its own. Yeah, I think this uh, this episode should be awesome for any New Kingdom fans and I think for people that are are unfamiliar with them it'll be a great introduction we'll have the usual uh, musical snippets in there so you can get a good idea of, of what this group is about and hey I got a surprise cameo guest here it's Elucid. I was surprised to see Nosage featured on the most recent Arm & Hammer album and the Small Bills album so I thought I would ask Elucid what his impressions of New Kingdom and Nosage were. I first came up on New Kingdom through my homeboy Kyle. This might have been in 2010, way after the album drop, obviously. And uh, yeah, I was immediately into it. Joints like Terra Mad Visionary, Mexico Bus, Paradise Don't Come Cheap, Wild. Crazy, crazy, I love that energy. I went on YouTube, I was watching all their videos, loved the vibe from the videos. Went and bought the CD, a used CD, somewhere in the village. I linked up with Massage through a homie still tip Dove. I think I just, I don't know, I don't remember how I came across Massage, but I know through still tip Dove is the connection, somehow. And they ended up recording a record together. He's on Shrines. He's on the Small Bills record with me. Yeah, great dude, great artist. No Sash. New Kingdom. Yep. Beverly Fresh is the guest correspondent this episode. He interviewed uh, two out of the three members, and uh, I think he's great. So let's set it off. This is Beverly Fresh interviewing Nosage of New Kingdom. Wagering on the sapling stakes. That line is written inside the liner notes for uh, Paradise Don't Come Cheap. And I, mm-hmm. I took that as symbolic of, you know, what there seems like an urgency in the music. And I think all of your, mm-hmm. even your solo work and definitely the first two New Kingdom albums and I was wondering, like, what, what drives you to create? What's moving you into action? Mm, you know, I'm just from the school of, like, forward momentum. Like, every song is your last song. Yeah. Like, this is my last song I'm ever going to do. 
yeah. a lot of times. So it's always like my stamp, like, okay, if well, this is it, how are we going to, you know, how are we going to push this, you know? And I mean, that was kind of our thing, even when we did our demo tape, full speed ahead. I mean, that's what Sebastian's always, full speed ahead. Don't hold back. Like, right. just go, go, go. Our demo tape, we're literally screaming. <laughs> like, right. Just to get the word, you know, to get it out, to be like a, a Mack truck. Like, yeah. you know, so yeah, I just have that, yeah, that forward momentum and also just the idea of, you know, I don't know how long I'm here. So let me just push yeah. this as far as I can. We talk about this idea of restless desperation of just <laughs> not just not feeling quite right and and wanting to put something into to action and see what happens kind of being restless in general mm -hmm. uh, so maybe from from there we can dig into a little bit of like process and, and technique mm -hmm. like do you have rituals do you have a, a, a disciplined writing process or is it more when the spirit moves you um how do you go about writing uh, literally it's, it's different every single time, but usually it will start if it's not, um, if it's like for a person, like a project, like my own music, a lot of times I go, I write over songs and instrumentals that are already out by other artists. Like I, I kind of get moved from like, <sighs> I like I have some words and I said, okay, let me see what this sounds like over, you know, the bridge instrumental. Okay. Let me move it over that. Let me move it over a nice and smooth instrumental. And then by the time I get to my own music, I kind of have it simplified enough to I can, so it can kind of go over anything and it's like a conversation. And then I start moving it. So, you know, so I kind of, I, I take ownership of it first. Mm -hmm. and move it a lot because I think when I first started I used to jam with this band called Morgan Cara like early like um, Limsburg days and we had these jam sessions and I would just be freestyling and moving this in and out and I could take the songs anywhere I wanted I knew because yeah. I you know I didn't have to be over one beat and I would do the same thing when I met Ramelzi like we would freestyle together and me, him, and Sir Menelik would freestyle at the same time. Like, Sir Menelik would go first, and he, I don't know if you remember him, but he used to, like, rap with yeah. Cool Keith. Yeah. And he had this extraordinary vocabulary, right? And so he'd start saying stuff, and he'd be rapping over the beat. Then Ram would, like, at the same time, he would rap, <laughs> you know, Right. And Menelik would be going. So then I would always go third. And it was like double Dutch. I would I would look, but I would just think, okay, what's the most common denominator of like where to get in and what to say? Yeah. And then I would and so it kind of gave me, we used to call it Jedi training. It kind of gave me like a sense that 
because Rami Speck, you could rap over anything. He goes, you could probably take the telephone book <laughs> right. and freak it. Like, you know, and I say, yeah, yeah, it's true. But by the time it like gets to when it when I kind of like present to the public, yeah, I've run this, I've run the lyrics. Yeah, through a lot of different phases. Yeah, before it gets to people, because I just like I just like to own it. I, you know, I don't just want to yeah. say it. I want to own it, live it. You know, you know the songs where I'm almost whispering. They started out probably with me screaming at the top of my, you know, just yeah. to get it out of my body. And right. then once I get it out, then I yeah, once I catch ownership, then I can enjoy it and I can let it take me like where it naturally goes. Yeah. But I do, I do exhaust the possibilities of things, which is, and you was, when you talk to you, he'll tell you, cause I'll, I'll send him like the lyrics first. And he's like, that's dope. Then I'll send him the shit over like a nice and smooth beat or Rick Ross beat. And he's like, Oh, that's ugly. <laughs> and now he knows that's not how it's going to end up sounding at the end. Right. But I just have to walk around with it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And just just feel it. But, you know, it's a different process, especially during like COVID. Like a lot of times I just sit down with the music and or when I'm doing features and I just like wait for it to talk to me. And, you know, Mm. so I mean, it's it's different every time. But for my stuff, I do, I, you know, I run it through a lot. I run it through a lot. Yeah. That's really good to hear. Cause I was, I was wondering like, how in the world do you get those inflections? the phrasing, mm-hmm. like the texture. Like I think maybe Captain Beefheart, I'm guessing, could be a touchstone. But then there's yeah. like there's so much more to it than just yeah. that note. Um and it's Captain Beefheart, it's E40, it's yeah. run, is Greg Nice, is you know, it's projection, people with projection, like run, Greg Nice, Prince Marky e. D. Like people with projection, but then people like with inflection, like you know, like an Oakland artist, a Drew Down and all of them. And yeah. because, they, you know, they have certain, you know, that freak shit and Captain B fart and all of yeah. them. And then it's just, you know, then it's Jason Furlow. It. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, you know. Yeah, like what you said, like, you got to walk around with it. Uh, yeah. I might, I might steal that and use it on my students because, like, yeah, that's how I feel. Like, you... You got to walk around with it. Yeah, you have it in your head and then you kind of, it comes out intentionally certain things you're trying, but then other times something will slip out by accident and you like mm-hmm. it, you work with that. And I, I'm always preaching that uh, quantity over quality. And like you get to quality through exhausting possibilities and pushing yep. beyond what you think you're capable of. All the time. Um, yeah. All the time. All the time. I mean, so many times I know Ulysses is like, I wonder if he's like, but damn, I mean, it was super dope. Like when you, you know, but it might've been super dope, but it wasn't me. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. I could do it that way. Right. But I just, it's not going to touch people the way I want to touch people. Like in the way I see myself performing it, Yeah. which is basically how things, okay, how am I going to perform this? So. Yeah. I'm curious, like what's, if we can get a little bit, a little bit of insight into like the mental space Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking about when, you, when you're practicing with Menelik and Ramelzi, mm-hmm. the Jedi mindset of like, there's those different layers and you have to, uh, I guess, kind of mesh with them, but then also focus on your own train of thought while, while mm-hmm. it's like, it's going out and coming in. There's like two different tracks happening at the same time. Yep. And I just wonder if you have any, 
any stories or just like if you want to comment on like that mind state of of per live performance because I think it's like very particular and not everybody has that insight. Even people that have been performing for a long time aren't aware of the mechanics of it. Well, with everything like with when I became a musician, I didn't know what I was doing at all. Like Sebastian, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know how to sample. We didn't know how to perform. And, you know, I think it was a blessing because we had to, we kind of like, you know, kind of had to teach ourselves. So when we first started uh, uh, rehearsing for a show, you know, because he came from punk rock background, but, and I just came from watching like video music box and watching the Fresh Festival tours and watching Run and Run, you know, it's just, I mean, I felt like I really owe Run like so much money because I mean, I literally like everything I do, it's what would Run do. But every time I think of that, it doesn't come out anything like Run. Yeah. And so when we first started, uh, we, uh, the record company, they, they rented us this uh, recording space and they said, we're going to come down and watch you guys record. And we just like put the instrumental on and I just like took the microphone and started running in circles and like screaming. I busted my lip with the mic. I know how to hold the mic. It yeah. was like if you put wild animals and they were like, we love it. <laughs> we love it. Because we were just like, it, and yeah, something just came over me that was just like, that was like this caged animal that yeah. didn't even come out in the studio. That when I heard myself, but also I was so scared that I was just like, if I yell and if I close my eyes and just do it, and 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 from doing that, I would like, you know, my whole body would shake right. and... Then we you know, went on tour and, you know, we, we went on tour. We had never done a show ever. <laughs> and we were on tour in England with a light show and all this shit. And I just was like, you know, I started studying Jim Morrison and Ron and all these people who I really liked what they did. And I would just close my eyes and just go, like, go. Like I didn't, I wasn't thinking about like the tone of my voice or how the song was, the recorded song. I would just go into yeah. a place that it had never been before. And this is, you know, before I'm studying Miles Davis on these things, I didn't, you know, I'm just doing it. And the connection I had with the audience, it was almost like if it was like a revival show. Yeah. It was closer to a snake preacher than it was a rapper. Right. You no, know, like it was that feeling. And I mean, I couldn't talk to people after the show. I whole, like my whole yeah. soul, like I had never, I, I, I don't know, I had a part of my brain that was like, this is it. Like, you, yeah. you know, there's no turning back from here. Like you can't turn back. Like, I couldn't look people in the eye after the show. Yeah. Like I felt like it was weird. Like I was just like, what is this feeling? You know, because I had, you know, I didn't know. And so that kind of began like our, okay, we see that, you know, the recorded songs are good, but we do, when we're in front of an audience, the connection is something that 
it's just, you know, we never felt, they never felt before, especially in hip hop, you know? And so that started my whole, like, okay, I want to know about people who are close to, you know, Joe Cocker. Then I got to, you know, from Joe Cocker, then it was Holland Wolf. And then it got to, you know, okay, it it went from Janis Joplin. Okay, but where'd she get it from? And then, you know, Big Mama, you know, it's only where they got it from. Where did this person get it from? Where did that person get it from? And so then I just like, okay, I'm electric. And once I got like, I had like, okay, you're an electric performer. That's what you do. You're Mm -hmm. electric. Like, just be electric with what you do. So that's how I was when I was younger. And then as I got older, I just started honing it in honing it in and honing it in and to master it so that I didn't have to come out and scream all the time. I pick my spots. Right. And my whole thing was like to have the crowd, like to bring them in so much that like they were in my hand and so that we could for there at one point in the set, everyone's on the same page. Like at one point for everyone to be on the same page and people, you, you know, who you stranger next to you, we're all on the same page for one moment. And that's the moment that we all have together that we, no one will ever change. And now, and, and it's not, you know, God bless everybody who has hits and everything, but it's not like that kind of moment where everybody sings this song and go, right. it's a, it's a out of body experience. Like this thing that you have that you can't even put words to that, you know, I mean, people will come in, you know, crying after the show and like you know and i I didn't know exactly what it was because i hadn't experienced going to show i hadn't really experienced things like that until like you know i saw buddy miles once and i was crying and i kind of like oh shit okay okay this is oh shit this is what wait a minute like that's what it kind of and now you know yeah it's just honing it and every song i do i record to perform i don't do anything like Mm. I'm not making songs not to be in my set list. Like everything yeah. is made to perform because to me, that's where, you know, I feel it. Yeah, absolutely. Not to romanticize it or to even like throw on this like spiritual dimension. But I feel like even if you don't believe in any of that, there's this like amazing ability for music to like cut through, you know, yeah. like you, like you're in a whatever mood and kind of apathetic and like you put a certain song on and like in a millisecond, like you're transformed. Yeah, uh, and it, yeah, it, it's like intention and vibration. Yeah. And it's kind of, I mean, like, especially with the new kingdom music, there's a lot of like, if you could see what I feel. Right. Because a lot of that part, like of like the spiritual, like the, it's not so much about the vocabulary is it's the spirit if you i want you to feel my spirit like mm-hmm. and so if, if our spirits connect then we can transcend you know together and that's yeah. what you know is what really you know especially in paradise shall come cheap like there's a lot like in suspended in air and right. and and you know there's you know and um what's the one uh what if testing my wings with my well, animal yeah I can't, like some of those songs, I don't, I can't even listen to them because I get like all like weird, like and start crying, <laughs> like because I just remember like, oh man, Jesus Christ, right. the yeah. vibration is so like it's just a different level. It's like yeah. it's not music. What is this? <laughs> what is this? What's going on here? Yeah. 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 
I had a best friend um, in sixth grade, Eric Cole, who was a rapper. And he said to me, there was a talent show. And he said, you're going to be my, you're going to be my partner in the talent show. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he basically bullied me into being his partner. And he goes, your name's going to be Generous T. And I'm going to write your song, your rap for you. And we're going to do it. And I was like, all right. So he writes a rap for him. This is incredible rap. I go to his house. He writes a rap for me. And basically what he did was he just kind of like plagiarized a whole bunch of raps, raps for my hook. Uh-huh. So, I mean, for my song. So we get to the talent shows in sixth grade, mind you. And he has like this really cool, like Pumas on leaves. I have on like my Sunday best that my mother made me wear. And I get in front of the crowd and it was kind of like when we did when we did the rehearsal, I didn't really, you know, know how to rap. I wasn't cool like that. So I just was screaming, freak it to the A's, freak it to the West, freak it to the girl with the biggest chest. <laughs> Whole place stopped. It was like, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like everything stopped at that moment. And everyone was staring at me like, what did this little boy just say? And then we got <laughs> off the stage and he was like, why were you screaming? Yeah. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess that's when my style started. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Wow. And when, when did you meet Sebastian? We were working at Canal Jeans and he was already working there. And um, he was just a cool older dude who worked in the sock department. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That fool, he had a, he had a, uh, did, what do you have first? He had the Maverick. He had a Maverick. And. Uh, it's legendary now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He had a Maverick that had, I remember the first time I got in his car, he had empty White Castle boxes. Like the entire car was empty White Castle boxes. I was like, what the fuck is up with yeah. this dude? <laughs> and, but then I would go to his crib and he didn't live that far from me. So I would go to his house, but he had his own house. He had a girl and shit. So, you know, we just start hanging out, listening to music and shit. We just listen to music like all the time and shit. Just came my boy and shit. Yeah. So were, were you, were you recording? Were you performing? Were you writing like in, in your early teens and, and when you met no, him? No, 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 no. I didn't even, after, after the talent show, the only other time I picked up the mic was, um, when was it? We, uh, I must have been like 13. And and um, I think her name was Lona Laura. She had a birthday party and they had a microphone there. And there were these guys that I didn't like. They always used to bully me and my friends, but they were on the microphone. And I was like, you know what? Going up there. Yeah. And so I took the microphone and I was like, once again, the roof, the roof. <laughs> They like were like, what the fuck? The, the feedback. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is going on? And they were like, look, there was a gig. Why are you screaming? <laughs> and so yeah. that was, you know, so yeah, so I never even thought like it wasn't even a thing to rap or anything like that. Yeah. Just something, you know. And when I was in high school, you know, I was school with like a gang of rappers and I wasn't, you know, it never crossed my mind to rap. So how did uh how did it happen where you met Scotty Hard? Like I heard maybe a few different stories. He was at Calliope or maybe Chung King. And by chance, you all, you all met mm-hmm. each other. Yeah, he was at Calliope. And my friends, um, some friends of mine, uh, they were recording that demo. The Four Horsemen were their names. And my friend Ken, Carl, uh, Thomas, and them, they were recording their demo there. 
And they were friends with Q-Tip and Drez and all of them, right? So one day we were hanging out and they're like, yeah, we're in a group, blah, blah, blah. And they just go dope. And they said, yeah, our friend John gave us a reel and it already and it already has a, two tracks on it. And we said, he said, we could use these tracks and he's going to shout the deal. I had no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> I was like, what? Like, what's a track? What's this? What's yeah. that? And so then come to find out John is Q-Tip. And now Rewind, I went to high school with Q-Tip. Okay. But we weren't like, you know, friends in high school, but we went to the same school. So I was like, oh yeah, I know him. So we all go to the studio and Scott Harding was the engineer of their session. And maybe a couple of times before that, I went with them to go hang out at Calliope. Like we went to a De La Soul session. De La, we went to, because uh, they, they ended up knowing everybody. And there was a time you could just walk in Calliope and just open a door and just sit down in a De La Soul session. It's like 50 people there just sitting on the floor. Insane. And dress, you know, the black sheep sessions, like all this shit, right? And so we're all hanging out. So then um, they used to do, you remember that uh, Banana Phantom for Phantom? Oh, yeah. So they had a song like that. Name right? game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They had a song. That was the hook. And so I'm in the studio and stuff. And they used to like, you know, kind of like practicing in the car. So they're doing it. And it's not sound. It wasn't coming out right. And so I don't know why. I was just like, yo, let me give it. I'm not, I'm not in their group or anything, right? I probably was drunk or some shit to drink all the time. I said, let me give it a try, right? So they said, all right, cool. So I go in the booth and once again, like Scott, I'm like, Scott's like, whoa, 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 whoa. If you're going to be that loud, you got to step all the way back. Like all the way back. Yeah. And so boom, I knocked it out. And so then I'm going to the bathroom and I see Scott and Scott's like, if you ever come to the studio, he said something like, you know, I like what you would do. I don't know what he said to me, but if you ever come to the studio, ask for me. I'll engineer your session. So maybe at that time, Sebastian and I were kind of talking about having a group. But then once we decided to have a group and everything, I was like, oh, I know this guy at the studio. You know, he said, give me a discount, whatever, whatever. And so we went to the studio and and asked for Scott and gave him, you know, we had no idea what we were doing at all. Yeah. <laughs> there with post-its on the songs because we didn't know what sampling was. We thought, we didn't know what it was. So we would like take like a record uh, like that had like a, a helicopter sound and then Sebastian would put a post-it on it and be like, this is what, you know, this is what we're going to take. And then we take an X-Clan record and we just wanted the, ah, oh, that part from Professor yeah. X. So we write that and put it on a post-it. Then we take all this. Uh, so we had all these records with post-its on it. <laughs> and we kind of gave them to Scott, like, okay. But now before that, we lit incense, turned the lights down, did all this shit. Scott was like, what the fuck? Is y'all even done shit yet? Y'all up here acting like y'all somebody. <laughs> then we give him the shit. He's like, what am I supposed to do with this? And we're like, well, no. We want to take the Uzi way. The first shit we ever did with him. We want to take the Uzi ways of Tom beat. The bam, boom, bam, boom, boom, boom. And we put the Crosstown traffic guitar on there. Yeah. And so the shit was zoom, 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 zoom. And then we want to put the Ah, from <laughs> Professor X. And then we want to put the, uh, was it the Bangles? Uh, 
time, time, time. Yeah. See what's become of me. And it was, ah. <laughs> hey, yo, and when we heard it all together, we yeah. were like, ah. <laughs> And Scott was like, yo, Scott called his girlfriend at the time. He was like, yo, I met these crazy motherfuckers. These motherfuckers are crazy. I don't know what the fuck they're doing. And, yeah, it was, it was, a, and he just took everything that was in our brain and he yeah. just made it sound the right way. And right. then that's that's literally like he was like, when y'all coming to that? And then okay. we just like kept going to him and he just literally like honed our shit. And you know, and then he was working with PM Dawn at the time. And he was like, I'm working with this record label. And we gave our our demo to two people, to Sophia Chang at Jive and a PM and to John Baker at G Street. That's it. And we got signed like that. Like boom. Damn. Out the gate and shit. Yeah. That's amazing. And then you got a development deal, right? So you had a little bit of time before the album. Well, came no, no, out. no. No, they gave us a demo deal, which okay. was like, they were like, okay, we're going to give you $2,500 just to see what you would do. Uh, you know, if you had a little bit of loot with you, right? Yeah. But I was on some like, because I've been hanging out with like my friends and shit. I was on some like, ah, fuck that. They supposed to be doing this. They supposed... so, and, and I was like, but we just gave them like this this shit that was so cool. And I was like, oh, I ain't giving them shit. So we made this beat called what you call it, which was like this like it was like bubbles and a baby crying and like some <laughs> drum beat, and it was an instrumental. And then we took a we took a break beat, just a straight break beat, no production, looped a break beat, and I rapped over it, and that was the fucking. And we kept the rest of the money because Sebastian, <laughs> we, we, we were like, these people might not give us a deal, but we could probably split this money up and go in here like for two hours and shit. So we just was on some like, let's just take this money because who knows. And I know Scott was like, I don't think. <laughs> you know, but the dude from the label, he was an old school punk rock dude. So he was like, I fuck with y'all. Like, you know, cause he just liked the the fuck you attitude and this shit. Like, all right, all right, all right, all right. Yeah. And so then we got our deal and shit. And what was what was the process like? Like you kind of described a little bit about like getting your musical ideas and translating them mm-hmm. to Scott Harding. But how well, like what was the writing process between you and Sebastian and like coming up with like an mm. approach for a track uh, and like theme well, and that kind of thing. Sebastian didn't, um, he would like, like mother nature. He wrote mother, mother nature was like 10 pages when he gave it to me. And so I was just like, I looked through it. I was like, and mother nature, I think it was on our demo. And, um, I would just like edit it and literally look at the things that I could say. Like, I was like, what does it sound like? You know, so when he was writing stuff, I was like, okay, Mobile General Electric and Exxon. Okay, okay, I can see it. And then I just would like, you know, okay, just like edit it to things I would say. Then the other stuff, I mean, a lot of it was like stream of consciousness shit. And I mean, we were learning as we went. Like I said, we didn't know what we were doing. Like, I didn't know like what 16s were. I didn't know anything. I didn't know none of that shit. I just was like going in there and saying what I was going to say. And then I would be like, oh, okay, I guess you got to put a hook on that. That's why like in the in heavy load, there's like no hooks in heavy load. Yeah. We knew what we wanted to sound. Like we knew the certain psych, the psych sound that like we wanted. We knew that's what we were attracted to. 
Okay. And I would go to the record fairs and I would notice that like all the like main hip hop producers were all, they were all in the same sections. And so I would go in the soundtrack section. Yeah. And I also had social anxiety. So I would, didn't want to be around them. I was too nervous to be around all of them. So I just would go where they weren't. And then I started really, wait a minute, hold on. I like this movie Wild in the Streets. They got a soundtrack? Yeah. Easy, easy rider. They got a soundtrack over there? Right. And so then, and then I was like, okay, well, that's the music. Like, these are the sounds that I'm attracted to. These are the sounds that, like, you know, yeah. but literally for the first album, it was a lot of like Sebastian and Scott, like just when picking the samples and then Scott just being like, okay, let me bring my boy Tim Byrne in for Lazy Smoke, like okay. things like that. I was kind of like, for the first album, I was really more like on the vocal tip, like just coming in, you know, doing that. And even those, I remember we had a vocal coach. Cause I heard like Run DMC had a vocal coach at one point, and I was like, "Let's go to a vocal coach, dude. Let's go to him." So we got the same vocal coach as Run DMC, yeah. and he would have us like, "Okay, what? Let me listen to your demos," and and then we would just do them like acapella, it with him. Just, I ain't your front man, cause I ain't front man. Like we're doing them yeah. like with a vocal coach and shit. And then so we would yeah. go in the studio, and before we record the songs, I actually found a videotape of us literally doing our vocal practices like before i went in the booth nice and then you know i take some mushrooms and i go in the booth <laughs> but it was you know uh, it was a lot of process a lot <laughs> yeah and it doesn't seem like there's a shift really from because i kind of struggle with the studio a little bit like in a more comfortable live and it seems like you're like you don't really have a transition like the the, the studio is as intense as the the live performance yeah. and yeah yeah everything is yeah, yeah everything just to get it out uh, yeah. you know because that's just how i started so it really is about like shake out the cobwebs like and let's get because then i'm then i'm going i'm coasting like right. you know what i'm saying but let me let's go let me get out let me get it out and then let me that's why like in um unicorns with horses it feels like, like almost like the like the vocal is flying, like mm. it's. So it, it was like beyond, because I remember uh, Divine Style, he was like, said something about shake your cool. Like, and he would be like, you have to shake your cool. Like, yeah. don't be cool. Shake that. And she yeah, go yeah. on the other side of cool. What is that? Right. And then, so that's why I always would, you know, think about that and be like, okay, nah, I ain't trying to be cool. Like, right. And now sometimes I'll catch myself being cool. I'm like, why are you trying yeah. to be so cool? You know, yeah. do that shit. Like, why yeah, are you yeah. being so cool? Yeah, I like that too, to like get on the other side of taste mm -hmm. or genre right. or style. Mm -hmm. And then, that's what's the, yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that's your longevity right there. You yeah. have to get on the other side of that. And it, it's hard because, you know, especially when you, when you study music and things, because sometimes like knowing too much, I feel like not knowing too much is, it's a curse. Yeah. Sometimes, like, you know, you have to shape with all these things that you know. 
right to really get to the other side sometimes right because you know sometimes yeah when, once i once i found out like i defined what i was doing i think that was the worst day yeah because it, it was the worst day <laughs> i'm like fuck you know what i'm saying like i yeah. was like eh. Like it's better when I didn't, you know, it's better not knowing. It's just do yeah. this shit. Just do yeah. it. And I said that and that is what I always come back to. Is just looking in the mirror and just like, okay, just do it. Right. <laughs> and but you know, I think you have to, you know, take it all in and then, you know, like Miles Davis, like, don't worry about what I'm gonna do at the level, which I always tell my band. We rehearse, but when, but when we're doing a live show, y'all do what we rehearse. Don't worry about what I do. Yeah, right. Do what we rehearsed because I'm going to take it somewhere else, but I got to know you're going to land on the one. You don't yeah. take it somewhere yeah, yeah. else, <laughs> right. you know, because because <laughs> I was on some Miles Davis shit. Like, you know, yeah. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Yeah. And, and so let's see where we're going to go. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Good. You don't know. Can you talk a little bit about, and I, I might be reaching with this, but like I could, it isn't, it isn't at the forefront, but like listening to Heavy Load and Paradise, I feel like, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there's like the wild man who's about to settle down or like he sees a change coming, like the change mm-hmm. is in the wind. And it, it kind of peeks its head out here and there. And I was wondering if that's, true of like what what was happening personally while those two two albums are being developed oh yeah yeah definitely i as responsibility i think was happening and yeah i mean i just wasn't like a wild kid off the street anymore yeah you know like i wasn't you know in paradise and come cheat i just felt like and also i mean it was there's a respect level of okay, this is what we do. This is what, like, and when we came off tour, I was like, when when people like, when in, in London, like in England, when they hear this record, when they, when they, the first thing they hear, when they hear Unicorns with Horses, because that was going to be the first song on the record, I'm making this for them. Like, I want them to see the progression, like, of, the things we learned from tour and that feeling that we had in tour with the audience. Like it was that, that we were trying to kind of, I was trying to battle like that, yeah. that vibe. So I think that was part of the maturity of it and learning, you know, okay, this is what we do. Uh, before I never thought about like, Ooh, I want my record to be when I go through someone's home and I see Jimi Hendrix and Funkadelic, I want to see a new kingdom record. I want it to be like that. Like that's how yeah. I, I started thinking that those, those, I was like, I wasn't thinking about like our genre that we started. With. I was thinking about music and I was like, Oh man, I don't want people to say this is like this. I want them to be like, no, I listen to captain Beefheart. I listen to new kingdom. I listen to this. I listen to that. So I just wanted to step it up a little bit. Yes, I mean, so things, yeah, yeah. My life was beginning, it was getting serious. And just that I think I was getting more into like seeing it as a career and not as, oh shit, we did this, we got this money. 
Yeah. You know, like we needed money. We did this. I'm like, okay, no, no, no. This is maybe something that I do. Like, oh shit. Maybe then I'm really good at it. And I maybe this is, maybe this is what I'm going to do. Like, you know, like this is for real here. Like, yeah. so let me, you know, and I just think being around Scott too, because Scott, like, you know, he was older than us. You know, he was doing, um, he was doing like uh, the John Medusky Martin and Wood Records. He was so. It was just, um, you know, love of maturity and sound. You know, it was yeah. like, all right, yo, Big Bro's doing this shit. Like, right, we want to step it up too. Like, you know, I want to, you know, and then just meeting different people. And I think, you know, when so many people with the first record would tell us, you know, I don't listen to hip hop, but I listen to you. I don't, like, you know. Yeah. And, and it was interesting. Like, I was just like, really? Because it was something that we didn't think, you know, couldn't foresee that was going to happen. Like, we just, we thought we'd make a record. We know that was a hip hop record. We thought, <laughs> I thought a record was going to be like on Red Alert and all this <laughs> other shit. Like, it turned to the complete yeah. opposite. Like, I had no idea. But then, you know, once, okay, this is what we're doing. Okay, well, shit. I'm finna take this even further. I'm about to make a 13 foot elevator record. Like, yeah. if you know, because I, I I could do that. Like, now I see I can actually do that. Let me start really doing this shit. You know? Yeah. There's a, f- a few things that that you bring up there. Like one is, um, I don't know. I felt like throughout those two albums, like you're building a, a personal cosmology, like. Like I don't, you said Jennifer in the beginning of this is your Mm -hmm. sister. And it's like, like I know Jenny from your tracks, but I didn't, I didn't Mm -hmm. know that was your sister, but I I know these people that are important to you, but I don't know who they are, but like, I kind of Mm -hmm. like can understand this web, uh, this network that you have of people that are close to you. And to me, that's interesting to like start, you know, to include that in, in, in your song. And then like building a context for yourself. So that's mm-hmm. kind of maybe on a personal and spiritual level. But then I feel like there's also this legendary context that you're, you're putting yourself in. So like you said, you wanted you to have your, your records alongside Hendrix or 13 floor elevators. There's like, I think a consistent reference to like the rock star, the rapper's mm-hmm. legend in, in your writing. Animal was my favorite drummer. I couldn't get off my mind that summer I lay in a tent in the middle of a big old garage my mind ain't nothing but a big old collage kids come a little close almost had a poster Jimmy Hendrix on a host with a pistol and a holster ah, damn I told you it was written in the sky heroes fade away real legends never die and even like the Paul Bunyan stuff, the lumberjack, there's like this mm-hmm. mythical realm that you're aspiring to, uh, or or just like communicating with, I guess is a better way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I used to, you know, I think a lot, you know, I used to have these dreams where like Jimi Hendrix, like I would be on the side of the stage and Jimi Hendrix was performing, and then he would look at me and be like, and yeah. I'm like, yeah, and he'd be like, and so I would come out and rap. And I'd, be, I'd wake up like, what the fuck was that? What song was that? What? Yeah. Like all the time I would have that in, you know, I'd be in my house and I would rap along with 
Bitches Brew live at the Fillmore. I would rap along with Nirvana, right, like right on top of them just for yeah. practice. Yeah. So I just wanted to, you know, and that's why I said, let them, let them find I was testing my wings with Miles and the Stars. Because I always felt, I want those people when they see me to be like, yeah, you did it. You, yeah. You did it in terms of like you, you, you treated it like a religion. Like you respected it by trying to transcend right. your craft. And that's what they did. And plus, you know, I, you know I, was, I used to watch wrestling. So I like all that over the top shit. Yeah, you just brought up transcendence. And I thought of the line, check out my voice, I'm everywhere. That's mm-hmm. not from Heavy Load. And that's something I've been thinking about a lot, like going back through your discography. And I, I mentioned this the other day when we talked, like you, your voice has been in my head, various lines, you know, for the past couple of weeks, just like. I'm so felt, sorry for that. No, nah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. And, I, I, and then that line comes in, check out my voice, I'm everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's like you know, you, you are, you're in the mental space. You're like a disembodied voice and and Mm. like a spirit or whatever you want to say. And like, I really like that idea of, I mean, this is a a kind of a simple observation, but we're all walking around with headphones and we got the, the musician or the podcaster in our ear, but it's a disembodied voice. And it's like, it's their ideas. It's their their being that's sharing mm-hmm. this like kind of intangible undefined mental space with you at that moment. And I like that it's not bound by space and time uh, that the voice, like thinking about the voice as its own space, like right. a, a geographic location, or that's not, that's not bound by mm-hmm. logic or reasoning that you can create a space with your voice. And I think, I think definitely you do that in a lot of different ways. Like you talked about like the, the kind of driving vocals and like the, you know, the scream rap, like you, you create a tone and a texture that can kind of like wash over the listener. Um, but I mean, it's only, but it's like being like a, um, like a guitar player, like, you know, like Santana or something. Like it's just like, you know, I mean, I guess it's just a psychedelic thing. We just, Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like just yeah. being like, you know, like Jim Smith, just being just like the guitar, like being like Eddie Hazel, like, but yeah. just with your voice. It was not so much, you know, square, like going like a, yeah. but it's more, you know, it's round, you know? Yeah. And I, I'm definitely into that. Like you saw the piece in Detroit was like based mm-hmm. on a tent revival. It's like kind of creating this, right. This like, this frantic, this frenzy and, and living in that for a little bit and like how the voice can, can lead you there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I wonder, like you mentioned, taking mushrooms in the studio and that like, mm-hmm. and dreams, like alternative mind states, like what, what, how is mm-hmm. your relationship to psychedelics changed over the years? Or is that an aid? Do you need it? You know, is there other ways to achieve that state? But when I was younger, I mean, I think it definitely played a part in just when I would listen to music, like, I mean, like everyone else, like, you know, I listened to Miles Davis and I just, you know, my, I, I was like, I had vision. I was like, oh, wow. I never saw these things in the music before. I never, you know, and I think it just opened me and also to myself. 
I think it, you know, a lot, you know, it helped me kind of like shave my ego down. Hmm. So that's probably like in all my shit, like it's never a like, you know, although I love running and stuff, I don't, it's never, I've never put anyone down. Ever. Yeah. I've never said I'm better than, not, not, not once. <laughs> like, because it, I think that's what psych does kind of help me with a lot, like to understand like how the world works and how you work. Um, and so I, I, mean, I don't know how much of a, you know, I think the press kind of made it, made it kind of bigger than it was when we first came out because, because we were so influenced by those sounds that people just thought, oh, wow, these kids are like always on psychedelics and shit like that. Um, but it wasn't like, you know, we were tripping and, you know, and writing the songs for the most part. I mean, it was more just like, it was a part of our lives, you know, and, you know, right. they just happened to go in the studio and do shit. And, and as I've gotten older, I mean, it's just a thing like, you know, you do a little spring cleaning sometimes or like you microdose, you do whatever you, you know, just understanding your, you know, your own development and your mind. And, you know, when you need to kind of like shed the noise a little bit, mm. you know, getting back to the one, yeah. you know, because that's, you know, a lot what, it, you know, what the whole thing is about. And I think, you know, and that's always been thing for me with psychedelics was just getting back to the one. I never kind of did it as like when I was younger, like I wasn't one of those kids who was like out with their friends in the street. Like it wasn't like that. It was, yeah. it was listening to music. It was, I mean, a lot of times what I would do would listen to our instrumentals. Like when we were making um, Paradise Don't Come Cheap and just like kind of just listen to them. And I remember once I wrote, I wrote Mexico a bust on the back of, um, you know, the cover of Unicorns with Horses, that painting? The single, okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. that was my friend Aisha's painting. On the back of that painting is, I wrote Mexico a bus. And the hairs were going like that. And then the wood. And I was looking, I was like, just writing this story. But I'm just writing it for myself. And I'm not even thinking of it to do it as a song or anything. And then I remember going back to it. And that's when I started the song. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't like, it was just, you know, they're just the things that we did, you know. And now, you know, once I had kids, it was interesting because I was like, oh, man, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to, like, the trip again. Because I always felt like, Unless like I was so far away from them, I always just felt like I don't want to get like a phone call where my kids are like they had an accident in the hospital and I show up in the hospital yeah. on some fucking hunter as doesn't shit. Like, <laughs> you know, like I was just like, so I just didn't do it like for 20 years. I was like, nah, this ain't gonna unless you know, I'm yeah. in the middle of nowhere, there's no possible way. <laughs> like this shit would definitely wear up. But I was just so paranoid. Like yeah like that so you know so I just didn't do it but I mean but I think once you do it for the right reasons it's always there like and the philosophies yeah. are always there so those philosophies I mean have helped me to you know they basically what I live my life by is you know is being an individual respecting people um, being trying to be in tune with your vibration a vibration in the music that I'm letting out and 
you know, I mean, I know, which is really cool because it was so wild when we were young. Like, I kind of know how far out I can go with it. Like, I've been to the mountaintop. <laughs> so now it's kind of like just explaining to I everybody else. All. Yeah, that's what I said. That's exactly what that song is about. Like, I been, I was there. I, so I want to explain to you on the way down so that you could go maybe one day, <laughs> if you're lucky enough, you could see it all for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, whatever it is for you. You mentioned uh, your kids Mm -hmm. just a minute ago. And I I don't know, this was something that I didn't necessarily pick up on. You know, like I, I said, I've been a fan of your work forever. I think I know all the lyrics, but I went back front to be, you know, beginning to till now and re-listen to everything. And the th- one of the themes I, I didn't catch before was the, the idea of children. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that's something pretty curious within, especially the, you know, the generic kind of hip hop genre. Kids are usually not mentioned. And mm-hmm. if it is, it's like, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head, but I think like, I think Boldy James had in like a recent track now has like, uh, you know, my son thinks I don't love him. He don't know his daddy's thugging. And it's just like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like that, like they're neglected or mm-hmm. second rate. And throughout your lyrics, I think there's a, like a care and a sensitivity towards children um, and an acknowledgement of them. Like, mm-hmm. like, uh, like some of that, like I like, I know like kids who understand that they're too young to be scared. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I can't wait to dress my kids, you know, like that, that comes up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just, I don't know. I thought that was pretty beautiful that like, you know, I don't, I can't think of another rapper that has that um, in, in their, their body of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything you want to say about like, was that a conscious well, decision? It was like, you're going through fatherhood and that's what's on your mind. Well, at the time, I mean, with the um, the I like kids who understand they're too young to be scared. That was like when I mean, it all goes like back to being on tour and just the younger people overseas who were they didn't like let like genres of music shackle them. Like they were just open, like they weren't scared, like to like, and that was, you know, and it wasn't like their environment was so different than here. It was just, there was just this weird, I felt like we just had a wild group of, it was like how you have deadheads, like the New Kingdom heads were just like, you know, maybe even too wild for me at some points, like, and they were young, but they were just so open in terms of like, you know, whether it be like, you know, astrology or food or the environment or music, they were just very aware of the world. And it was a beautiful thing because you know at some point that's going to change yeah. <laughs> when you get older and you have responsibility and all these things. Right? Yeah. And then the thing about, the, you know, I can't wait to dress my kids was the thing which just like, the world, you know, just sucks. And it's like, if, you know, can bring somebody in who maybe can be a change or maybe positive contribution to the fabric of the world. Like, that's all I ask of my kids. I just want you to be a positive contribution to the 
yeah. fabric of the universe. Like, and then I know, okay, it wasn't a terrible thing bringing you here into this terrible place. Like, you know, I remember Prince B had that one album title, like, I'm, well, I forget the name of his kid's name, but I'm so sorry I brought you into this w- world. Like, it was the name of his album. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's deep, dude. And I was, maybe I was maybe going like the opposite way. And I just thought like, nah, I think they could, you know, you know, and I can't wait to address them because yeah. they're going to be ill. And they are, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And they're, you know, you know, they're the shit. Like in terms of like they're they're are they are putting positive contributions. Like their vibration is a beautiful thing for the earth. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, and they are happy and the whole thing. But like, I mean, that is the idea, right? Like is yeah. you know, I don't want to bring somebody in who's, you know, it's all pain and suffering. Like, nah, man, I need you to yeah because that's all i've tried to do so is to leave something like yeah i'm thinking about like the like the beauty of that sentiment you know reflected in in your writing Mm -hmm. and then also just the intensity like there's the urgency like it's raw so that's like in contrast maybe to that um and then like you just uh, a few minutes ago talked about like the the goal of like being egoless in hip hop and those things are like definitely at odds like you know it's all about it's, it's full ego um but, but and, and it's full ego but i i think you can't like when you know you're the shit you don't have to right Right. So yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, like the practice of hip hop, of like battle rapping and like one up. That's what was born on it. Right. It it was raised on that. Right. And and that that's why I don't I don't mind it. And I say it. I just say it in different ways. Yeah. It's just a different way of saying it. You know, it without putting anyone down. That's that's the only thing. I mean, I had a friend, and he said he never listened to hip hop because he said, "Why would I listen to something when they put me down in the music?" Yeah, <laughs> he goes. Why would I listen to something where a person telling me they're better than me? Why? Right. You know what I'm saying? He goes. I, I, there's no yeah. reason for me to do that. And I was like, oh wow, I, I guess you're right. Yeah. And so I just made sure, like, I was never that kind of person. But yeah, I mean, to be once you get on the other side of that, and it's so funny because in hip hop, which I always like, kind of told my kids, I was like, you know, all these rappers and shit, like, especially when they were like both taking like Mandarin. I was like, all these rappers that, you know, you're going to listen to and all this shit, they are going to get deals. They're going to have them make a whole bunch of money. And then they're going to spend tons of money to get to your mindset. Yeah. (laughs) They're going to, they're going to get, they're going to, you know, get a chef to change their food. They're going to get their own life coaches. They're going to learn fucking Mandarin. They're going to do, become egoless. And yeah. they're all trying to get to your little twelve-year-old yeah. mindset, which is free. Right. That's great. And sure enough, <laughs> there were certain very popular rappers who started taking Mandarin and doing all this shit and yeah. being egos. And, and I said, because everyone is is fighting to get to who they are. You know, you're born somewhere, and that environment shapes you. And yeah. then you realize, hold up, hold up, but that's not who I am. Right. And then you, you're trying to like find out who you really are. So look at Kevin Gates. He's like the best example of like someone who is completely a different person right now. It's incredible. 
I don't yeah. like, you know, like he's the dopest shit. I mean, like he went from one thing to I'm like, this dude, I'm about to ask you to be my life coach right now. My like, <laughs> like, he's like, what is this? What's the word? So I mean, yeah. yeah and I, I, what I was pointing out is like those con seemingly conflicting ideas or contrasts, mm-hmm. I think are actually more true because it's like a fluidity of self and like there is multiple mm-hmm. dimensions that like so many times we want to conflate ourselves to like one identity right. or i'm i'm this in relationship to that um and i think you have like a much more broad perspective on like on being right. um and i think maybe that like brings me to the idea of of the persona and like you mm-hmm. talk like a little bit about like cultivating the idea of like a myth and legend um, and also like some, some thematic overtones in the work. Um, Mm. But I go, I go back to this line, almost lost my mind in a foreign land to this day, still explaining who the hell I am. Mm. Um, And so it is like, to me, if I had to categorize, it would be the persona of, of, of the wild man, like Mm. the, the mad visionary, you know, that has, that has all the wisdom, um, but can like play these Zen pranks, you know, like be, right. be the trickster character, um, and be able to like kind of inhabit different realms and play them against each other. And like, I just wondered about like, do you feel different when you perform? Do you feel like it's other than you? Is it integrated or like, have you, work to kind of cultivate a, like a stage persona or is it different mm-hmm. than your everyday life or how do you, how do you square with those things? It's almost like a Bowie kind of thing where like in the songs animal and um, paradise and cheap and Mexico bus, that is a character named Clyde. So that's like, that's like a trilogy. Those songs, like that's like a thing. Um, and so, like, he is like a, yeah, he's like a madman. <laughs> he's like a, and, but he's a madman who is, he sees kind of like the end, like, you know, like an animal, yeah. like, he's writing his suicide note, and then, like, death walks through the door. Like, he sees, like, so that, a lot of that is from his perspective of, like, so sometimes, yeah, I'll pick up a character and kind of fly but as i've gotten older yeah now i feel like it's like little pieces of all these things which you know obviously just pieces of my own mind but like sometimes i hear him come out like in a little inflection or that's like, yeah. like that's my you know that's my, uh, sinister kind of like oh that's him like you know and i you know i remember at the time like my ex-wife was like i hate clyde <laughs> i hate that motherfucker because it's mean like Southern comfort drinking, like, <laughs> motherfucker, like, and that's who I was when I was writing those, you know, for the the time, like, really, like, informed by that that part of my life, and, um, but yeah, I mean, I think throughout the years, like, I, I've been able to hone them and kind of because I've exhausted and lived it all out, I, I know how to tap into it. I can tap into the things now, like, I'm, you know, I've honed them enough where I can tap into them and I don't have to let them take over me. Yeah. And like when I was younger, like I couldn't, you know, cause I was still going through the process. So 
now I'm like, okay, yeah, I can tap into that one. I could tap into that. I could tap into that, you know? Yeah. That's good. I like the, like the idea of it being like external and internal and being mm-hmm. like, like a force, like you, like, uh, what's that line? Uh, when I write the forces, send me voices. Mm-hmm. Like right, yeah. So mm-hmm. I feel like that's something like a force passing through you. Right. Yeah. But then you're also talking about ways to cultivate that and control it. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things that, I mean, I, I appreciate, like, I, I can't, I think it, I don't know if it's the good life documentary, but there was, or like a freestyle documentary and a mm-hmm. lot of, uh, the people I really respect from, you know, from project Blowed were on it. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I was hoping to hear about craft, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and their process. And I felt like a lot of them, like, not wrote it off, but like explained it in, in the way of it being spiritual and them not having control over it. So they didn't, I felt like that's valid, but you're also not giving yourself any credit. Right, right. It isn't this thing that you're just born with. You have to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Man, listen, I studied those guys. Listen to me when I tell you that project blow. (laughs) Man, listen, I was so scared of them. I had that white vinyl, the project blow. And the other day, I was like, what happened to Fat Jack? I was like, Fat Jack did the piece that I do was not Yo. That record, I remember I met AC alone one time. I say shit. I was like with them, and like we were like, uh, uh, what this rapper was her name? I think her name was ninety nine or something like that. And she 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 invited me to um her show, and then he was there hanging out with us, dude. Because I was like, this like Arnett Coleman right next to me right now. Yeah. Like I don't even know what to do because you know I mean I, I thought the freestyle fellowship stuff was good. You know, but when I heard Project Blow, my whole brain, yeah. I was like, what are they doing? This is foreign language to me. What kind of style is this? This is like, it was just beautiful. I mean, it was like bone, like how I see bone thugs, like American treasure. This is, yeah. this is some serious American treasure shit. And it's true. I, I always wanted to be like, so what do you, are you listening to Ornette Coleman? Are you listening like to... And then, like, like, are you doing? Because I'm just, I just see it as yeah. jazz. It's all right. jazz, and so I'm like, how the fuck do you do this shit? And yeah. and are you writing it? Are you freestyling it? Are you like, how the fuck did you yeah. do this? How did you come <laughs> up with this shit? Like, Micah Nine, I literally yeah. fell down on Micah Nine YouTube hole like three days ago. I yeah. hadn't, I hadn't heard this shit in years, and for some reason, he came up, and I'm watching this motherfucker. I'm like, oh my. God, Jesus! Yeah. Oh, you know, and then um, uh, the dude from um, the brother from the, from the uh, weird rap, and um, he Jonah. was doing a yeah. Jonah was saying um, he was had a song about an egg or something, and then he had mentioned, yeah, we want to get a whole bunch of MCs, and Mike and Nine's gonna be on it. And I remember I said to you, look, I said, yo, so they asked me to do this shit, right? And I said, but yeah, they said Mike and Nine was gonna be on that shit. He said, yeah. I said, mm, I don't know. <laughs> 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 that motherfucker dangerous, man. That motherfucker is, you know, there's not too many people I could be like, eh. I mean, I would have to do, you know, I'm like, I just want to just, whatever he's doing, I want to work, you know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. when I work with the dudes from Arm & Hammer. I want to kind of like, you know, I don't, I think people, they want to try to be better than somebody or, nah, I want to work with it. 
You know, I want to work within what he's doing. I want to move and weave within uh, it to make it like something crazy. Because that motherfucker uh, is We want to hear that crazy. too. Maybe we can connect yeah, that. Yeah, that motherfucker beyond crazy and shit. But yeah, yeah. I feel what you're saying with the Project Loathing. All of those guys, man, they're beautiful. Yeah. It's just a whole nother level of the game. Whole was, nother yeah. level. That was really integral, like that that tape and the, the mm-hmm. second Freestyle Fellowship album and then your the two New Kingdom yeah. albums. Like when I was in, I must have been like early high school, I just wanted more. Like rap, I love rap music my whole life, but I just like, there's something missing. And the, and the boxcar Sessions came out too that time. Oh, yes. Yeah, exactly. And like His I record felt, came out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, the, and then Wu Tang was on Method Man had a solo album because I remember because I was yeah. when I, the loft I lived in I had all these records and those were the ones uh, Method Man a sub crazy record he had on his solo album that joint yeah I would be banging that shit and being like yo I wanted to hear freestyle I wanted to hear the Project Blow Kids over yeah sub crazy beat yeah. I wanted to hear it like that kept being oh, I want to hear this shit. I want to hear it like that but yeah those yeah. records were. Nobody, yeah, that's just a different level of the game. Now, yeah. Bone Thugs, all that stuff is just like, I love the things that I know for a fact there's not only, there's no way I could do it, but there's no way I would think of it. Yeah. Think to do it. You right. know what I'm saying? Like when I heard Do or Die and their whole album, Legendary Tracks and shit, I was like, this shit is beautiful. Like, I, it just wouldn't even cross my mind to approach it right. like this. Yeah. You know, and, and and you're right. Like, those are the things I, yeah, I would love to hear, yeah, the mechanics behind it. Like, what was going on? You know, yeah. because I think that's the issue sometimes is like people think our genre is just fucking, you know, weed and Hennessy. And then they just go in the studio and then shit just comes out. You know what yeah. I'm saying? It's like, nah. I love when people talk about that. I mean, that's what I love YouTube for. It's just the, I love like the in-studio process. I'm always right. like, Young Thug in the studio. I need to see that yeah. shit. I fucking need to see this. Sh- I need to see him just stack those fucking ad libs and shit. Like, yeah. I just need, I just need all the E forty ad libs. I need a track with just the ad libs. You know what I mean? And my boy Starchild, Mike Hare. He was the one who once told me when we were making a Freak Brother record. He was like, "You should go in and put the ad libs first. And I was like, "What?" He said, "Put the ad libs first because." Then they're not gonna land like you can, when you put them when you put them afterwards, you know, you kind of like know what's coming in the verse. He said, just put shit where you think you should just paint it. Yeah. So then I will go and I still do that to this day, and I'll go paint the ad libs. So then when I'm doing the verse, that shit's like pow. Right. You know the shit's yeah. in you're like, oh, ah, <laughs> or you know, or you know, you mute the ad libs and then just do the verse, and then when you unmute them, they come in, you're like, oh, ah. Yeah, because it's it's not popping where you exactly where you would think it would go and shit. So it's just like yeah, trying like weird shit like that's that. That's right. Yeah, I never I do that with visual art, and I kind of mm-hmm. like I'll put stuff down, and then I have to deal with it. You know, so now mm-hmm. it's there, mm-hmm. and like whatever I, my plan was, I have to compensate and like work with these mm-hmm. kind of constraints that I threw down. I like that of like just doing these punctuations first, and then. Right. There's a bit of chance involved and then it's something to react to or some dissonance where something doesn't fit right. Some Jackson Pollock shit. Yeah. You kind of, because then it's like, okay, well, because sometimes I'm like, well, maybe there isn't like a verse 
And uh, it's yeah, just a yeah, piece. Yeah. And when I start thinking like that, like I, it, it just opens everything up, like everything, my posture, everything. And I'm like, no, just put the shit, just lay your shit and just, you know, and just stop thinking so hard about like yeah. a verse and a hook. No, you know where things go. So just, you know, just do it, you know, without those constraints on it. And I think, yeah, I think it, it just gives your flow just a whole different like uh feeling so new kingdom ended and then mm-hmm. i i don't i don't have the freak brothers i don't have any nature oh, boy not, jim no, kelly no. like mm-hmm. i need i need that i gotta stuff. give you the freak brother and like what, freak brothers crazy <laughs> yeah and what so after new kingdom what mm-hmm. happened you see you, you did the nature boy jim kelly name change and a couple projects is mm-hmm. that i did the freak brothers right away Okay. I did that with G Street Records and them. Um, but then they got tied up in, you know, like legal shit. So that record didn't come out. The only thing that came out was on the um on the senseless soundtrack. There's a Freak Brothers joint called B1 okay. Freak on there. And um, yeah, we did that record, which was crazy. Pick out your afro and slide on one side Said the speaker to my ear I jumped out my chair And when you believe I couldn't find a good pick anywhere So I slid downstairs Has anybody seen it? The one with the black power fish And then from that I did a more Chiba song A big calm song And then that kind of changed everything Because it was the Actually, the Morchiba song was before Free Brothers. It was the first time I did something outside of New Kingdom. I never did anything without Sebastian. Trapped in the skies, what am I to do? Brothers from another planet, y'all know the truth. Papa was a rolling stone. Nigga never brrr, things I used to do with her, I now do alone. Then Bill Laswell hit me up and was like, yo, he wanted me to come do something. And same thing with him. He was like, I was in a studio with him. He was like, just, just go. Yeah, and that's the. It's a compilation. Ramelzi's on that. Uh-huh, Ramelzi's yeah, on that, that compilation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, my and style. That's, ain't got no style. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah and yeah. that's what really yeah, yeah started getting my style outside of New Kingdom because I was like, yeah, my style ain't got no style. I'm, you know, what I'm saying, I'm, I'm me. I'm, I'm not trying to be. You know, I'm not, ain't got no style. I'm just gonna be me. And then. um I was doing like, um, I opened up a store in Williamsburg and I was doing like, I, was, I wasn't making any albums, but I was listening to a lot of remixes and stuff, buying like mixtapes and stuff. And I would just hear like everybody rapping on R&B shit. And I was like, how come nobody puts no shit over the strokes or over like maps? So then I was like, you know, I'm going to do that shit. So I just went to my boy, Manabu Swan, shout out to my boy in Japan. I went to his crib. And I wouldn't, we wouldn't change the music. I would just get in where I fit in. And we did this with the strokes and we did modest mouse, all this shit. And I started selling them in my store. And people were like, and I would play it. And they'd be like, what the fuck is that shit? For the second time in my life, I probably couldn't be quite possibly the only lonely frozen in the middle of the war by myself. And I didn't think it was strange at all because I was like, it just sounded, you know, I didn't understand why they didn't get rappers to rap over these shit. I was like, this is, I don't know what year it was, but at this point, we should be, you know what I'm saying? Like, this should be. 
easy right now. Right. And I just wasn't hearing that shit at all. So I put two joints out with doing shit like that. And then, yeah, then I did some Nature Boy, Jim Kelly music. Oh, and then I started working with the Lyricist Lounge. I went in the studio with them. And then that's when I started really honing the Nature Boy, Jim Kelly stuff. Okay. And yeah, with my boy, Joe Chris and um, Danny Shavis, we started honing that, that music. And like dead men driving and riots on the floor and all that shit. Is that stuff gonna be re-released at all? Because yeah, I couldn't yeah. I couldn't find that anywhere. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, yeah, Mac Essentia, yeah, I'm thinking like you know, now with Bandcamp and all that shit, I'm like, you know, I should just re-release like all this yeah. shit. I just have to find it. Like some of the stuff, like I like the Freak Brothers shit. I found like four of the songs, and, I'm, and, and so I was like, I need to find the rest of them. So yeah, because yeah, some of that shit is like it's and the stuff I did with the Lyricist Lounge dudes. They were basically paying me to go in and demo shit because they were trying to get a production deal, and they wanted like a kind of alternative rapper on their roster. And they were like, you know, if we get the deal in a, in a year, you know, cool work. If not, you know, then, you know, you just own the songs. So they basically just paid me to go in there. It was like a, such a blessing. Like, yeah. you know, they paid me just to go in there and fucking hone my craft, basically. Right. I, I wanted to, and this might be reaching, but I like, I, had, mm-hmm. I was thinking about like the New Kingdom stuff. And then we don't, like, I think the wider public didn't hear from you. It seemed like you stayed kind of local with the Nature mm-hmm. Boy stuff. And then you reemerge with Last Man Standing, that mm-hmm. single. And then we have, you know, a slew of new, like, collaborations and, and releases since then. But, like, if we were to draw a line from New Kingdom to Last Man Standing, it's like you're, you're gone Mm-hmm. And then you reemerge and you're walking around with the broke shoulder. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It, it was, I wanted Last Man Standing to be like Clark Kent, like you know what I'm saying? Like he, like you know, because I was like, I think it, the idea of it kind of started like if, like, well, how would Jimi Hendrix be if he was like just like normal, like and going to the post office? <laughs> <laughs> and. So I think, you know, that's kind of like what that was. It was just like, it was the Jason Furlow record. It's like, you know, because my actual, my solo album is called Jason Furlow versus Massage. Mm, okay. And so it's like, that's the Jason, those are the Jason Furlow songs. Like the, yeah. This is how it is, you know what I'm saying, before the lights come on. Nice. Yeah. I, I, I thought, it, you know, it's different stylistically. It's like more, mm-hmm. more sober, sparse. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's like a mix of like confession and declaration that it's like mm-hmm. at once vulnerable, but yeah, like you're like the old man that can still whip somebody's ass, you know, like even, you right, know, right. Like yeah, there's, yeah, it's a, there's like, it's that like a, vulnerability, but in strength at the same time. My friend called it a, a midlife crisis on acid. <laughs> that's, that's what it sounds like to me. I've been walking around with a bum shoulder High blood pressure, claim me a friend Seas that are so old, older The reaper is just round my bend The pirate in me has retired 
I think at the time too, I was just like, where is the, I would just like to hear some adult hip hop. Like, yeah. I kind of feel like when people do reemerge, they either try to sound like how they used to sound or they try to sound like contemporary shit. Right. And I was like, I would just like to hear like some adult themes, like, you know, like wow, where the right. fuck, like, yeah. Like who put the ceiling on our, our genre where you only can be 18 or you only can be 16. I said, you know, it isn't until you become a man that you can really, your craft really takes off. Right. So, yeah, yeah. So that's how those songs kind of came along. But then what happened was I was listening to him one day and literally this voice was like, uh, what's that song? Put me in, coach. I'm ready to. Yeah. And then, so then the Saj came off and he, we can't put him back now. We can't put him back. <laughs> he, ever since then, he refused. Jason Pearl's like, yeah, I got some more joints. He's like, nah. Yeah. So I was, I was curious about that because I was looking at, like if I take, like do a deconstructive reading of your body of work, mm-hmm. the linchpin, like to me, what doesn't belong is the last man standing. Like yeah. that's, and like, if we think about it in terms of deconstruction, like that's the loose thread that we need to pull at mm-hmm. uh, to get at the core of what's really there instead of overlooking it and be like, oh, you did a slow record. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's not an massage, you know, that's just like, but that's the thing we should focus on and get mm-hmm. get at the core of it. And like, I was trying to think of like, what's the precedent for that kind of grown up existential rap, you know? And like the only thing I could think of as a touchstone was like, I remember when I first hear, heard the Latirix album with that lyrics born, like the stand on the balcony and like the looking at my hairlines getting jagged. Mm-hmm. And like that was the mm-hmm. first time I like, the idea of aging like ever came up in a rap song. <laughs> Kept hearing the waves crashing beneath me Back and forth, just rephrase what they were saying Over and over and doing that repeatedly Crash, go back, just a constant thing Every time they go back out to sea It's like they draw a little bit more out of me A lot of images, feelings, just a limit I mean, I just, you know, it's all a movie to me So it's like, I'm always thinking about like, man not only do I want to make like the listener, like people who are riding with me, I, dope shit, but I want them to be proud. Like yeah. when they hear it, I want them to be like, that's my guy. Yeah. Like, my guy. Like he did it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like he did the thing that I, I didn't, I knew he was going to do something, but I didn't know what he was going to do. But damn, like, oh shit, I think it's going to be like this. So that was kind of like, yeah, my way to come back to be like, yeah, okay, this, you know, I'm still alive. Am am I still alive? But yeah, this is like some Leonard Cohen type shit. This is like some, you know, we're about to take this into a whole different like direction and shit. And yeah, and I just had never heard anything like that. Like once again, I mean, it's literally everything is always making the music that I don't hear that I want to hear. Yeah. You could argue that hip hop has its roots in the blues. It's like contemporary right. blues music, and like you know, like the day to day strife. These you know the legends, like those kinds of themes, they're happening in both genres. And like you know, it's it's hard. Like you feel like the blues musicians get better as they get older, right? Like you kind of have exactly. to take it for a while when you're young. Like you don't have that much to complain about or that much experience to speak from. So we would hope that the hip hop would 
have a similar trajectory, um, but like, yeah, it hasn't hasn't really gotten there yet. Well, but I, yeah, I mean, I think that's, I mean, this is like a big thing you listen to I talk about all the time. I don't know if we put it on ourselves where somebody one day said this is a young man's sport or if it's easier to keep like a, a young boy locker room mentality to have that be the face of our community. You almost like are stunning our growth in a way where, you know, basically it's just the same 16-year-old schoolboy mentality of all you give a fuck about is girls, money, and whatever. Like, if you keep the ceiling there, then you keep the people there in a way. Mm -hmm. So you never get to hear, okay, but what happens when that boy becomes a man? Because so many people just stop rapping. They feel like they have to stop rapping at you know, whatever, 27, 25. So yeah, you don't, and you never get to hear them hone their crap and to actually, like I did, to realize, wait, I am a musician. I do, this is going to be my career. Now where can I go? Yeah. I always think it's interesting when people who are older and they have to do shows saying the shit that, like this little boy shit, like, how right. can you say that when you're a man? Like, right. I, I, I never understood. I was like, I'm, not, I'm so happy I never said no little boy, like, locker room shit, because how could I perform that? It's just weird. Like, it's yeah. just, you don't, you know, it's just weird. So, and I think there are people who, like, poor Rush Chief, so I mean, there are a gang of people who kept recording and they kept that forward momentum and progression in their music. It's just that because they didn't have popular songs, you just didn't, you don't hear them. Right. So they're kind of yeah, like in yeah. the shadows. But, you know, thank God, you know, there's so many podcasts now where people can, you know, rediscover it. No, so-and-so, been, they've been making music this whole time. Mike and right. Ryan, you know, whoever, they've been That's doing true. it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. people feel like they can't do this shit, you know? I mean, you can still do it. You know, you can be a hip-hop artist without having to do your old songs all the time. Right. Yeah, and I think it's maybe also a way for the the masses to control that kind of music right. you know like to to belittle it in a way that it's yeah it's immature or that it's effortless yeah. it's recreational you can just do right. it um and like yeah so it's a way to to kind of to marginalize the, the whole yeah, genre because there's a there's a you know potential threat there and and right. freedom of expression and yeah yeah because you saw the peak of it when you know public enemy were coming out and Certain people like who are men, <laughs> yeah, who are coming from it from that standpoint of experience, and that's a dangerous thing for people. It, yeah, it can be because younger people hear it, right? It, it's yeah, just yeah. You, yeah, it's like when younger people start hearing, like you know, then it's a whole different thing. I mean, so I think Karis One, I mean, I said not too long ago, there are no men in hip hop in popular music, right? They're just boys, and there's a reason for that. Yeah, that I mean to speak on that from a completely different perspective. Uh, being a white rapper, uh, when I started uh, performing in more of an art context, and people were trying to intellectualize what I was doing, um, everybody thought it was a, like a satire, mm-hmm. and I got I was so hurt by it because I was like, no, like I I love music, but for them. For a white guy to do rap was a joke. It wasn't serious. Right. And also, 
rap is not an art like it doesn't belong in a gallery mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. so, so it has to be a gimmick or a joke so like i really had to to work to figure out ways to add complexity you know to the role of the rapper and also like know that i'm a i'm a guest within this genre and i don't want to mm-hmm. do it a disservice in any way because it's something that i completely love um and yet, for me, it was mind blowing to see, especially within the art context. You think people are open minded, and, mm-hmm. and it's not the case at all. No, it's not. not I mean, people used to always be like, "New Kingdom's not rap," like, all the time. Yeah. I'd be like, "What?" <laughs> and they'd be like, "Nah." I mean, and and I mean, and just like matter of fact, like say it to my face. I'd be like, right. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, I I would call it. I used to call it psych rap. Yeah. Then um. And then everybody was like, no, nah, what you're doing is just avant-garde, dude. It's not, it ain't no big yeah. deal. It's like, you know, once I got like around my musician friends, they were like, man, you just avant-garde, dude. This ain't yeah. no fucking rocket fucking science, dude. Just right. keep doing what you're doing, man. Yeah. It's not a big deal. It's just, yeah. They don't know shit. <laughs> right. I mean, like, my musician friends like, these motherfuckers don't know what the fuck they're talking about. It's just keep yeah. doing your shit, man. They just used to hearing, you know, they brainwashed. Yeah. I think I saw an interview with uh, you and Sebastian, like in the nineties talking about like the dream was to walk into a record store and it's not categorized by genre. Like it's just like everything is is together. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we've kind of gotten there in some ways. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I think like those divisions are breaking down and I'm happy to see it like in popular hip hop music now, especially things I think have gotten way more experimental. Um, And maybe to wrap it up, I don't know. I thought, maybe talk about some of our weird rap groups that we like or artists. I felt like in the early to mid nineties, there was like a special point where hip hop, uh, started making money, uh, for the, mm-hmm. the music industry. So there was money to throw at artists or to develop, you know, put out albums. And it, there was a wide distribution because these are major labels, but they didn't That's what happened to us. Yeah. And they, but they, I feel like they didn't understand what was good rap or what mm-hmm. wasn't. So like mm-hmm. a lot of people could get in like through recommendation of like, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I had this one hit single and like, you should hear my friend and like, mm-hmm. they don't have, you know, any reputation or anything. And they get to put out a record because the executives don't know what's what. And they're just trusting mm-hmm. like we need all they know is raps making money and we need to put out some rap music. Right, right. So yeah, I feel exactly. like it was this sweet spot where there's a lot of people that just put out one record mm-hmm. and they were great. And I felt like it was like this really diverse time in, in hip hop is that there's so many different voices. So you have like um I don't know, like uh do you know question mark asylum? That's one of my Mm-mm. my deep cuts from uh-huh. washington dc okay and like i remember I, I was playing it one day you know i'm like a teenager playing and my dad got in the car and he's like oh this kind of sounds like frank zappa like the way they're like doing these weird harmonies and stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they put out, you know, one record on a major label, uh, like Quest the Mad Lad from New York. 
Yeah, um, yeah, I know. I remember that. You know, pretty weird. He was weird. Dan mm-hmm. Charnas did some crazy production on that. Maybe more conscious stuff like the Bums. You know, mm-hmm. like, I felt like they were doing their own thing. Um, but like, I don't know. I felt like that. I was. I would romanticize that that because I was a teenager at the time. You kind of go back to that era, but I feel like it also was a special time where I lived you know, a hundred miles from anybody making rap music. And I had to ride my bike 20 miles to, to the nearest record store, but I could still, mm-hmm. get, I could still get all of these albums there. Um, they were av- like readily available mass market stuff, but it was weird. You know, the far side is out at the right. same time is like ice cube death certificate, you know, and it's like totally different voices. Yeah. I remember when I heard MC 900 for Jesus, yeah. I was like, what the fuck is this shit? I love right. that guy. Matches in a gasoline can. Darkness envelops the scene like a shroud. A veil of emptiness hangs from the clouds. Filling up the cracks in this desolate place. Cradled by the night in an icy embrace. And yes, I would always search out for people who were just doing something I hadn't heard before. Like, and just kind of like wanting to check them out. And now... It's so interesting because it's like the blessing and the curse because there's so many like out there people and it's dope that, you know, I mean, you know, there's so many out there artists, but I just was never into like people just being out just to be out. Like, yeah, like like I wanted there to be some kind of quality to it, but I think MC 90 for Jesus, I like um, volume 10. I thought it was like bananas. Uh, I mean, I just, I mean, Divine Styler is like always going to be like my, I mean, just for so many different reasons, like his first album. Yeah. And, and people think like it's because like the second album, but it's actually the first album that I really like. I just thought this whole crew, the whole crew was just like, it was so weird to me. I was like, I like this. I was I don't know yeah. what it is about this, but, and um, I, mean, I think Jungle, Jungle, to me, Jungle Brothers were like the first avant-garde hip hop yeah. Like, yeah, that yeah. Word. like I think they, but um, but yeah, searching out weird stuff. I mean, I just listen to so much weird shit, man. Like, just looking for anything. Who were those? Uh, YZ. Yeah. yeah like yeah. what? Yeah, like um, all like the um X Clan affiliated shit, like that would come out, like Lane Q. Oh yeah, and all that shit. Yeah, and then yeah. all like the weird shit that Master P would put out, that like like the Mia X album. Yeah. And like holes were added to like weird shit. Like it was just like, what the fuck is this? This weird old shit coming yeah. out of here. And the sounds were just like crazy. And no, you know, so it was like it, I always go from, you know, like uh Project Blowed stuff or just like uh what's his name, who was our favorite guy for a minute? Um Brother Lynch Hung. Oh yeah. Man, listen, we used to listen to Brother Lynch. Uh, like that shit was like, 
You know, because it was just like, what the fuck is this shit? Yeah. Sick made music coming out right. your speaker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, because you know he put so much time. This shit was fly, man. Sick made music coming up out your speaker. Catch the reaper, night crawler, creeper. Dig a ditch, get a bitch, nigga. Dig a ditch deeper. I'm going to take your head with the street sweeper. Leave your brains on your speaker. Smash off in your jeeper. And um, even like all like the um, E40 when you know he had the Bumble and dusted and disgusted and yeah just weird shit like the weirdest shit. Sebastian, <laughs> so we'd save up our money. We'd you know soon enough when uh, when we had like eight hundred or nine hundred dollars. Like okay, we're gonna take this nine hundred dollars and we're, we're gonna go in the studio. So we would book like this overnight. Like really late at, at Calliope, which was a studio that a lot of uh, a lot of you know history in that, in that studio. So we felt really good. There's a lot of energy, a lot of cool yeah. uh, vibes going on. And our friend was actually that we worked with at Canal Jeans was going to be the engineer. And so then, for some reason, we were sitting in a room where we weren't. We didn't know we weren't supposed to be sitting in this room. And then the owner of the studio came in. He was furious. He said, oh, everybody get the hell out. Get the hell out. And so he kicked everybody out. And so our session was canceled for all intent and purpose. But then we, but we already paid for it. So we, we got to book another session. And that had just happened to be the session that Scott was doing. So that's when okay. we first hooked up with Scott. And it just worked out perfectly. So you guys clicked, the three of you. Uh, yeah, in terms of like he he understood the vision that you guys. Oh yeah, had. right away. That's the thing too, because like I said, we came in there with like you know VCRs and cassette and records and like incense. We had all these, <laughs> and Scott was like, "Yeah, let me see that," and then taking it and then doing it. You know what I mean? We didn't we didn't have to say it. He's like, "Oh, put this here." I'm like, "Oh wow, he's he's got it. He's got our same." Yeah, you know, he's doing he's grabbing stuff that we didn't even see to grab and putting it in there. Stuff we already had. And he's doing stuff. And he's adding stuff, and we're like, "Wow, this is cool." And like right away, it was just it clicked immediately. Right, it just so clicked. Yeah. Would you say like he in a in a sense he was kind of the third member in that? Yeah, like, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. He was like the third. He was the guy that could see what we wanted and could put it together. Like we said, we want this and want that. We had no idea how to fuse it. Yeah, it wouldn't work without any of the three of us. And we're from the heavy load sessions. Were there tracks that got cut? Is there any unreleased stuff that's sitting around? Yeah, well, we did a whole bunch of like tracks. So the process was first we did the demo. Couple songs on there, like three or four songs. Then we did another demo, I think, and then we did the record. And so through all that, there was like stuff that wasn't released and stuff that I think some stuff made on the B sides. And like we're always at that time, we were always sort of making music. You know what I mean? So anytime somebody had an idea, we would just say okay. And you know, we had like a little dat, and Scott had a little home studio. Anytime we had an idea, we'd put it on. And so a lot of that stuff too, some of the stuff that we did for Heavy Load may have made it on to uh, the Paradise. And, you know, it was always a process of making music. Yeah, so it, to me, it's insane that that's your first project and it can, it comes out that, you know, that good. And then you guys go on tour 
right? You did a, a European right, right. tour when Heavy Load comes out. So it's not like you're kind of cutting your teeth in, in ciphers in, in, in the streets in New York. Like you just, you go on an international tour right away with your first record. Uh, what's that like? And did you guys talk about your approach to performing um, since it was a fairly new thing for you? And like, how did you craft that approach? Yeah, I mean, it was a while ago. So I think what we did was like, we always liked the idea of the live band because it's the energy that you could just change it and the DJ. And, and so we just started out, you know, knowing that, you know, because Scott would play guitar and then we got a DJ. We knew we wanted to have a, a show, like more than just two guys standing on stage. Yeah. You know, when you see bands, it's, it's cool. You know, people are moving around and you get energy from all these other sources on, on stage as well. I mean, I, I love, two guys at a microphone don't get me wrong but just for right. us it's like you know the whole smoke and the gong and just like we, we you know it's with theatrics so we like to be like you know it's like that that that, that landscape as well like you don't even know where to train your eyes you don't know what to look at what or what's going to happen next or with the next thing coming from or it's just like <laughs> three ring circuits yeah you're in it yeah right so it's, it's like this wave of energy and and, and and vibes coming at you so when when you guys sat down to to start on paradise you said there could have been some carryover for heavy load but i think there's uh kind of a refinement of the sound but also an opening up of the sound you know it's like even i guess the 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 hardcore aspects of it become a little bit more fused in in paradise and it's kind of like a new genre is born of like this like hazy psychedelic grimy hip-hop um what did you talk about like what the next step is like reflecting on the first album going into the second album it it, it, it sort of evolved like it just sort of came naturally it's like you know as you grow up like you know you come in you're this scruffy teenager you know what i mean then you get into fights and you start learning and you see and you just start you know dressing a little nicer and putting your and then it's just growing as we were growing as well because we were also getting a lot of new experiences like traveling around like going to different countries and seeing different cultures and seeing different people and getting all this different kind of input also affected the way we thought like you know and and the things that we wanted to grab from and so i think that's just the natural progression as you start get, getting more and more information in, you start, you know, making different uh, calculations about how you're going to put this information back out. Right. So I think that was just, and I, there was no like, oh, we need to make it sound like this or like that, or no, this sounds too much. Like it was just like, well, like we were so in sync and on the same page, we just would do it. And that's like, okay, this sounds like this is what we want. Yeah. And I I was curious about like your different tones and like how they balance each other out and like the kind of personas you have when you perform and to, to maybe generalize like Jason's stuff seems like there's like this urgency that he's like fighting to get it out fast enough. And like, if he was, if he was a vehicle, it'd be like a, you know, a juiced up dirt bike, like wide open right. through the trees right, right, right. one wheel yeah yeah <laughs> totally and i imagine you like more as like a chopper you know just like just like right. going slow through the through the city and just like this right. menacing kind of growl going 
right? The little old monkey. Yeah, monkey yeah. Bun- well, that's exactly it. I think that's the whole thing. So there's the synergy between uh, me and Jason. It was like these two polar extremes. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like the the earth <laughs> was to flip over on its side and the polar cap started melting, you know? So it's like you have this whole juice going there and smoke right. and stuff. So, yeah. So, but it works because it's all together. It's contained because it's not, it's, you know, Jason's out flying all the way off in the front and I'm not falling all the way in the back. We're keeping, we're tethered. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it reminds me, uh, do you know who Peter Stanfill is, the folk no. musician? No. It was, uh, I think, actually the first time psychedelic was used to describe music was really? uh, the the Holy Motor Holy Modal Rounders uh, album that he was part of, and he he was originally in the Fugs, um, kind of an early punk right. group. Um, but I talked to him a while back for an interview, and he had this theory about like gathering alphas together, like when when alphas get together. <laughs> It's like that's when something amazing happens where there's like uh, both people are in charge. There's no, you know, both people are dominant. Right. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. then there's like a synergy and an understanding, um, which sounds like like what you guys had. Right, right, right. And then it's something that is created in between those yeah. two polar, you know, forces, you know, right. like the magnetic poles. Yeah. This is energy that's in between. If it works, then it's a, this is a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it sounded like, uh, like the you know everything aligned for New Kingdom. Like it's just like it was the perfect perfect timing. You know, the chance opportunity to meet Scott and like everything kind of happened organically. Uh, what what happened towards the end, or why did you guys not decide to do another album? Well, yeah, was, what was happening was that like after we did a couple tours, Jason wanted to sort of work on his family. And then I was also in getting out of this relationship. And I think we just, you know, after a while, cause we, we were just so intense. You're, you know, yeah. you're together all this time. We sort of said, let's step back and let's take a little break and then just see what happens. And it was, you know what I mean? I think it was a problem with our label. I can't remember why, like they didn't want to release the third album. And so we had to try to shop it. And I think we just said, let's just, step back for you know a little while we did this unspecified amount of time and and then see what happens and he had a baby then he had another baby and then Life i had a different relationship right and then scott moves somewhere then everything was happening and you know we were always in contact and so it was just things there was never sort of like oh we're not going to make any more records yeah we're not going to do it, it just it stuff happens and i had a baby and then it's like so all these things you know life happens and then you look up and now it's, you know, a decade and a half later. Right. And it's yeah. still like, so, you know, we just were hanging out a couple of uh, weeks ago and we're like, yeah, you know, we had that energy again. And so we're nice. trying to see what we could do to sort of make stuff. And, uh-huh. you know, in, in between, we also were doing other projects as well. Oh. So, yeah. So yeah. it's like, we want to still have, but we still have that new kingdom energy. They want to, yeah, it's, again, it's still there. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. the, in, in a cube. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so there's hope. There's hope for the fans. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, what about Truck Stop? How did that come about? No, that's just you, right? Jason's not on that. It's you no, and right. Scott. That's just me and my friend Rob, Rob Warbe. And uh, he was like a really good friend of mine, you know, after, during the band. He actually took some of our first photos 
for right. New Kingdom. But he was always around. And then he and I sort of had this idea. It was kind of a, 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 a wild idea of this, like, this thing of just about trucks. <laughs> yeah. Every, the whole thing is just about, he said, because, you know, his, it was his concept. He said, look, trucks make the entire world run. And without trucks, nothing would happen. You need trucks to do everything. So, yeah, that's right. The super champagne and no tiny little bubbles go straight to your brain. Press your challenge to your lips. You take a sip. Let the infinite now you dream the impossible. You dream your unstoppable. Sometimes it's no good to dream your so powerful. Trucks down. You get hooked up. You get shook up. You might even get a little We did some shows. It was pretty cool because we would go out. And we would have like, like pieces of the truck on stage. Oh, nice. It was the same thing where we like to have a big show, a smoke yeah. machine. We had this guy playing drum machine. Scott played guitars. Uh, we had a bass player. We had that upright bass at one point. <laughs> so it was this whole like traveling show again. It was really cool. But everything was sort of just really focused on, on trucks. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I didn't know it was, it was a full-blown project like that. And you guys played shows. Oh, Yeah. And- <laughs> Yeah, and it's in- interesting too to hear about like you know trucks make the world go round. But then, to me, I almost imagined it as like like a horror, like a truck horror movie, like maximum overload or overdrive or whatever. Right, like because right, right. it's like it is pretty menacing. It's pretty pretty dark. Right, it's like my yeah. my truck's a weapon. Right, right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> can you can you talk about being on Word Sound? I still have the I think the ten inch vinyl uh, truck stop. Uh, that put out on word sound and i know you did did some other stuff with like the crooked soundtrack and right the the scott scotty hards um so like talk about maybe skiz and and what it was like working with word sound yeah well what was cool with world sound the skiz was just like a guy who just was into all different kinds of music like you go to his spot and he'd have all different types of instruments all different types of imagery and he was just really into getting your sound like he didn't he didn't say i want to sound like this i want to be like he's like i want you to do your sound any way you like it and he was very encouraging and i think that's why you see in word sound there's so many eclectic bands and so much interesting stuff and it was and that was what was so cool about it and it was and it was kind of like this brotherhood almost of all the the artists that were on board it's like you had this sort of connection of the uh crude or it's down posse and, and yeah. you know and it was and he would put on shows and it was a real cool vibe totally yeah i think i mean i love one of the my favorite weird rap albums is psychoanalysis you know like that the prince paul album on there is just insane and um right that's the thing that, it's like right you, like something that no one else would put out and right. be like, oh, i don't know about this it sounds a little weird but it's like, not nah, just put it out and throw it out and do it, do it, do it. That sounds good. Keep going, you know? And that's that's what, that's how you get creativity. And, yeah. you know, it may not be for everybody, but the people it was for, it's like, it, it made a difference. And that's the thing, right? It's like, you rather make the difference in one life than just touch a million people and not really make a difference at all in anybody's life. Like, who was that band that played that song that wouldn't like, you know? Yeah. Like, don't even remember, you know? Right. So, to be like, oh, that band I saw that like that psychoanalysis record was my shit. And I heard that. It was like, yeah. oh man, it blew my mind. Totally. You know, if two people said that, you'd be like, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> I blew two people's minds. Yeah. And I think Word Sound it, yeah, is is really special because of that. Because it the whole roster, every album is just 
weird as hell and it's hard to even like wrap your brain around like who's behind this you know like i i don't know how it happened but i did street promo for word sound in detroit uh when i was in college like you know handing out stickers and stuff and trying to hit people to it um and i was in touch with skids just through email a little bit but I was just like, who, who is this person? <laughs> like, where where yeah, is this stuff <laughs> coming from? Like, it's <laughs> right, like, right. to me, it's like the like best, like bad horror movies where like, you're just like, who thought of this stuff? Like right. the, that, that right. entry you know, movie, not the big yeah. Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. You, you like, gotta find, you gotta go to like the video store. Yeah. And ask <laughs> yeah. The guy, oh yeah. It's down there on the bottom shelf. It's Eric. Yeah. <laughs> There's a mystery behind it of like, how did this get made? You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, definitely. Do you have any standout like th- those projects that you did, uh, like your features, the like Hex or uh, the Crooked soundtrack? Anything that is like one of your your favorite projects that you worked on? I don't know because they're, they're all so cool and all so different, and you just get in there and it's just like it's just the whole vibe. It's like yeah, you know, they're all and they're all just you know they're smoky. It's dark. It's just like a couple of drinks and just it's just this whole and it you know they're all different and there are no there's no better or worse or no you know what i mean it's all just cool stuff yeah so yeah I mean. did, did your process like creative process change at all when you started doing more solo stuff like the just the process of writing or or the the approach did it change like my process is just you know just being and then ideas come in i write it down or you know now it's on the phone but, you know, I used to always have, used to have like a pad and then write down a thought. And then from that thought, it kind of, you know, like, like brooks and streams come out. And then you say, OK, this can go here. Or, you know, you have a main, main idea. And from that main idea, you have different streets and avenues that, that come off it. So I think I always kind of work like that. And how I'm always curious with rap specifically in like, you know, this the the practice of freestyle and improvisation versus like, a more structured writing craft. Um, how do you fit into that? Um, do you favor one or the other, or did they uh, inform one another? Yeah, I'm, I'm more of a sort of a structured writer rather than sort of freestyle. Like my skills of <laughs> freestyle is not, not not really there. Like yeah. you know, the first level be taken out, but it, it's just I'd rather you know my things is you know putting things together, moving things around as it's happening rather than off the top of the head yeah but how about working with jason in terms of like improvisation like a synthesis between you or in live shows was that ever part of over your routine yeah i mean sometimes it would be that energy where we go back and forth and back and forth and even more sometimes when we're out just you know in a bar or in a restaurant or somewhere like we would start you know bouncing off each other ideas and, and stuff yeah. like that but Jason was always really the one that would be just like get up and start freestyling, yeah. start rapping, you know, and, and just go anywhere. Like he'd be in the, the bus station, the train station, and the, and the bar, you know, and people would be in there and he'd start just like rapping and stuff like that. Well, I would be a little more reserved. I wouldn't <laughs> right. sit back and watch. Nice. Yeah, let him go. Um, yeah, I was curious about uh, the theme of transportation. You know, like there's the Maverick. And then you have this song where you're like, you know, on the train, Broadway, right. Nassau station, truck stop, you know, like there's like this, um, 
I think in both of your lyrics, there's like this ongoing theme of transportation. Right, right. Um, like moving. Yeah, like, exactly. Place, like the wanderlust and stuff like this, like yeah. exploring. Yeah. Is it like a, um, I don't know, like a feeling of, of restlessness of like, I, I want to be somewhere else. I'm, I'm getting somewhere else. Or is it a sense of freedom of like the open road? Like what, what yeah, are some it's, of the. It's funny that you picked that up because when we really first started, Jason and I, beside the kingdom, we call ourselves the bloodhounds because we used to like to just go out and find things. And we would say we would, a certain type of shirt we were looking for, we'd be like, all right, we're going to find it. And we would just go everywhere to find it. You know, and this yeah. was back before. Brooklyn looked like it looks now. It's like desolate. So we'd be going across these yards and these fields trying to find these little like cool shops that are like, you know, in little factories and, 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 you know, so we would always like the idea of like going out to find stuff. And I think that seeped into the music and the lyrics of just wandering and, and finding things and going places and just traveling and seeing the big picture, you know, rather than just being sort of in one area or one block. You yeah, know, it kind of feels like this whole, like you know, easy rider where you're on the road and you just drive it and you don't see anything for a long time in the desert. Right. So those were always in our heads these visions of moving, even space. Sometimes you know, just stuck, yeah, going to outer space and everything. So I think we're always like moving. We're not satisfied to just sit still, right? And let it happen. We're like, let's go out and find it before they catch us. And how does that manifest in your life now? Do you do you feel more content, like the hunt is has been satisfied, or or does that searching manifest in different ways now? Well, yeah, I mean, I still love to travel. So you know, we've you know, my family and I always go on vacation every year. We like go to different spots, and you know, as as much as we can now. When you have kids and you've got a you know a, a, a business that I have to run, so there's only so much you can do, but there's still some, you know, I still like love going to a spot I haven't been to before. Yeah. And I talked, I talked to Jason about this, you know, the speed and moving through time and also new kingdom kind of being out of time. Like it was, it inhabited its own space um, that I felt was like, you know, very special and hard to pin down of like, if you listen to it now, you wouldn't know really when it was made. So it was kind of like a step out of time. And that made me think of like this, the, the realm of the legend or the myth. <laughs> and like, uh, I saw on Rudy's Rockin' Kid Caravan, All right. the, yeah. the John Henry myth. But then there's also like Loch Ness, Nessie. There's, you know, other, other moments where the idea of like these, like folklore comes up. And then I think a lot in a lot of Jason's lyrics, there's like the rock icon or the rap icon. He drops a lot of names or references to like living legends. Um, do you have any thoughts on that of like a love for mythology or where that, that those, those references come from? You know, a lot, a lot of times that's just like, saying that's like reading and, and, and then just drawing in from all experiences like you know and there's power and strength from those characters it's like there's yeah. a lot of power in 
the Loch Ness Monster. There's a lot of power in Sasquatch. There's a lot of power in John Henry, but there's also a lot of power in the, you know, LL Cool J and, and, and Chuck D and, right. and, you know, Curtis Mayfield. You know what I mean? So there's all this stuff. And I think when we write, I think there's a lot of stuff we want to get, you know, a lot of strength in the lyrics. And, you know, it's like sort of like you're saying, it's sort of this thing in the background where you hear about, oh, I heard about that. Uh, legend and that's pretty cool i don't know if it's real or not and then you know it adds to some myth and it bolsters stuff yeah I, I like the process that you described of like uh it's like a ritualistic approach like you're t- you're drawing power from these myths <laughs> right. you know by assembling them and drawing them into your orbit you're kind of harnessing their power in a way right yeah. right right that's i was right. like what you were saying about the different timeline like it's like the kingdom's like <laughs> kind of traveling on its own thread of time. Yeah. That, so that brings me to the, the last kind of thing I wanted to touch on is, uh, so your, your current role is, you know, you're, uh, as far as I understand, fabricating and, and fixing clocks, right? You're, you're dealing with antique clocks. That's correct. Right, right, right. So, so the, the concept of time, I was curious of like, how, how does what you're doing, you know, working with these, an object of time, a measurement of time, uh, in like your day job or in your, your, your life's work now, how does that influence your approach to music either like philosophically, like we were talking about new kingdom kind of being a step out of time on a more conceptual level, or how does it, how does time interface with your musical practice in a more like structural or practical realm of like, how do I, keep on beat or go off beat or those kinds of things, structuring music. Well, right. So that's the thing too, with it, with clocks, I mean, certain clocks are very precise and, 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 and have this like sort of rhythm, but most clocks actually aren't that, <laughs> especially the clocks I work because the clocks I work on are like antique clocks that are like, you know, a hundred, 200, 300 years old. And so they're all like, they all have their little quirks and they're not quite, you know, they're TikTok. You know what I mean? So nice. I, I think with the music that, that I do is also kind of like that, where it's not this precise machine that does this particular thing. It's just, it's, it's its own thing and it's works has its own rhythm and it does its own little, it's got quirks every once in a while and you got to fix it, got to take it off, move it around and, and do things like that. And that's with, with time as well. It's like, Right, these clocks just kind of measure time, but it's hard to, you know, you can't touch it. It's something that's intangible, so it's not like there, but it's there, and we don't even know if we're doing it right. You know, it's like what is, t- you know, what I mean, it's like, like it's this crazy concept that's so part of us, but we don't know what happens or how long. You know, we just have this clock to measure it, but so it's it's these weird thoughts where it's like, all right we figured out how to measure it. So that's good enough. And with music, it's like, that's part of it. It's like, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to kind of work. You know, yeah. it's like the cost doesn't have to be exactly perfect, but if it tells good enough time, that's good enough. And it's like, there's so many different styles and, and clocks and there's so many different uh, ways to make the clock work. So, but all you only need one to have a clock. And so with New Kingdom and Truck Stop and, and me particularly, it's like, I know the music that I like and I enjoy, like I listen to, 
the music that I make, not because I'm vain, but because I actually like it, you know, yeah. and my friends, I know to their music because they're people that I, I like and they we make similar music and it's just not the, for everybody. And, you know, I'm so uh, happy and so, you know, that you're here talking about a record that I made a long time ago and you you're excited and that's so cool right. to me it's like i can't you know that blows my mind that it's like wow somebody else liked it you know yeah and, yeah yeah i think uh i want to go back to talking about time but i think um off of what you just said were you aware of the influence that, that your music had on like other iterations of hip-hop that were to come after like can you see influence of new kingdom in in other other groups or you know, have you heard how influential your your work has been? Well, that's well, that's what's that? wonderful is I, I I hear people say like, "Oh wow, it really meant a lot." And they say, "I saw you guys when you were in Sheffield. I saw you guys when you were in 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 in, in Baton Rouge." And I was like, "Wow, that's crazy! It's so cool that you like I said, if you could touch one person, I was like, that's fantastic. You touched a hundred people, that's awesome. You know, and so it's it's it's." I'm very excited. And even when you get emails and people send in yeah. things like you made me want to make music. And it's like, to me that that's dope is that yeah. you could make somebody change what they were doing. So it's like when I, you know, first heard like the plasmatics, I was, <laughs> I was like, wow, I want to do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, I know how that feels. And so for somebody else to have a similar, you know, reaction to something that Jason and I and Scott made is, is awesome. And just, you know, unbelievable i think uh, i mean my personal experience i'm guessing it's the same for a lot of people but i i was a huge you know in love with hip-hop but also you know in the house you know blues was playing folk psychedelic jazz so i had all those those influences and you know the stuff i would hear in captain beefheart or something like that i feel like it was it was getting further out than what i heard in rap making love to a vampire with a monkey on my knee the pond shine dry like a lady's compact lilies leap like flat green hearts with white hearts squirting yellow pollen cocks ferns ran like cool spades fossils away from rocks bees echoed dark carbon hums that dashed in nothing some people like the second organized confusion album, the second freestyle fellowship album. Right. It's like, it's getting there. And I'm like, my thirst is starting to get quenched, but it's not quite. And then when new kingdom came, it like broke open the wow. head <laughs> wow. and it was like, all right, here it is. <laughs> wow. This is, this, this is uh, what I've been reading. proud for. to be, yeah. you know, you and you saying Captain Beefheart's over here. You're saying new yeah. kingdom's there too. So yeah. wow, that's, that's it. Yeah. Nice. And, uh, yeah, so just real quick to jump back into time, because when you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, generically, we think of time as this like structured, regimented thing. Um, but as you were talking, I was thinking like, no, it's actually this like abstract notion that you can't pin down. And that's kind of like how New Kingdom is. It's like there's this, it's like dealing with abstractions and it's like morphine and it's slow and fast. And it's like, you know, amorphous is hard to, to kind of figure out what's right. coming next. Um, and I like that what you what you said about clocks of being kind of having their own rhythm, like it's following this standard 
abstract notion of time, but then it has its own quirks and pace and character to it. Um, which is something I, I never really thought about in terms of, you know, uh, a measurement of time, but it also makes sense. Uh, cause we're talking about the practical object having its own character and rhythm, but the, even on the abstract level, you know, time isn't consistent in our mind in terms of consciousness. So like, you know, right, you're right, having right. a good time and, and it, right. it, time is expanded or condensed based on pleasure or pain, right, right, you know? Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think there's, there's a lot, um, a lot going on that relates, you know, conceptually with the aspects of time and also your music. Um, and yeah, off the, off the record, I'd also like to talk to you. Uh, I can't put this in the interview. Hopefully Jonah can cut it out, but I'm, I'm working on a, it's a, I signed an NDA, so I can't talk about it publicly, but it's, right. I'm working on a, a clock, uh, design project that integrates. But yeah, maybe to wrap up, um, is there any, uh, current projects that, that you have in terms of music or, or art or even just like what you're thinking about right now in terms of music and, and those kind of creative outlets? Yeah. I mean, there hasn't been the thing with this. It's odd. Because it just doesn't seem to be any time. It's like, it's so crazy. <laughs> it's like the shop is real busy and I've got a, a house that's upstate. And that takes a lot of sort of work. And my daughter, and so it's just, it's, you know, I always think I'm going to have so much time. So oh, this weekend, this weekend, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to do some art or I'm going to, you know, I, like I even during lockdown over here, I start, I said, oh, you know, what? I'm going to start actually doing mosaics. Nice. So I got all the stuff from the mosaics. It was when I started because we just had, we couldn't come into the city. So we were just upstate for a while. And, uh, but even that, it's like, it's almost finished. <laughs> Right. But, it's, you know, so it's just like just getting the time around. And I don't know why I don't have any time. Yeah. <laughs> but it just doesn't. So there's all these projects that, you know, and luckily lately we've worked with uh, Kid Acne and, and did some stuff right. with him. And so we were able to get into the studio a, a little bit. But really, I think, you know, we always said, I said this last year, this year, I try to get into the studio more and try to really start moving forward with some projects and just, you know, even if it's n even nothing happens with them, just the idea of, you know, cause when I get back in the studio, it feels really good. You know what I mean? It feels right. like, Oh yeah. You listen to it. You kind of remember and then you, you and it feels really like where I need to be. Yeah. And it feels very comfortable. Like I feel I'm comfortable fixing clocks and doing all that as well. But it's also like that part of my life is missing. And so I'd like to yeah. get some of that back in. So hopefully this year everything will calm down and we'll be able to get back on track. Yeah, personally, yeah, I feel that I feel the same way. And um, but I've also like my my timeline has changed from like being younger as like I got to get this album out. Like this album just came out. I got to do the next one. Right. Like there was this like pressure and urgency I put on on the releases, and now I'm like, well, if I do a song in like the next two years, that's good. <laughs> and then I'll do another one two years right. from now or whatever. Like it just, I'm looking at it as like a longer right, right. Timeline. You have a different perspective. Like your yeah. perspective goes from this small to like a real wide lens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think, um, the kid acne, um, project that when you guys were featured on that, that was the first time 
you and Jason were together on a track in a long time, right? That's correct, right, right, right. And and you're saying there is hope for for a reunion. Oh some, yeah, at I mean, some point, yeah, sure, absolutely. I mean, we just, we just everybody's just got to put all the pieces of pose together. Yeah, nice. Well, we're super excited for that. I'm sure the listeners are going to be pumped to hear that. Uh, that's a possibility. Um, yeah, so we'll we'll be waiting. Excellent. <laughs> all cool, right. Um, thanks, Sebastian. I really appreciate you taking the time. No to problem. Talk. Thank you for taking the time to remember. All right. Cool, brother. Cool, brother. Cool, brother. Cool, brother. Cool, brother. I just re-listened to your uh, your interview yesterday with Sean Sotero on the Cipher, and uh, I'd recommend that to anyone who wants to get a good overview of your your history. And that covered a lot with you up to about four years ago. But what have you been up to since then? Um, I did a record with um, Sun Ra and my friend Rodrigo Brandao. Oh, I mixed a, a score for John Medeski, a film score. Then I mixed the orchestra, like a Brazilian hip-hop poetry, free jazz thing. And um, did a bunch... I, I After 23 years or whatever, um, Rizzo called me out of the blue. And I did uh, a song with him for... Uh, for ESPN Bruce Lee film. And then I did the, uh, a song with him and ghost for a film. And then I mixed the, uh, new theme song for the good humor, ice cream trucks. <laughs> really? Yeah. Which was a real trip. And they, they sent like out a speaker from the ice cream truck to test it on to mix it through. Yeah, it was nuts. And, uh, I just finished mixing, uh, the new record by cod. Are you familiar with him? Oh yeah, love Ka. Is that the one that just came out or a forthcoming? No, and a forthcoming. He's always like at least a year ahead of the game. Yeah. Um, I've also been uh, mixing a record for this band, sort of a super group. Uh, the drummer from Public Image Limited, Bruce Smith, the bass player Paul Demon from Sade, and the singer from. Love and Rocket slash Bauhaus is a guy named um, Daniel Ash. They're called Ashes and Diamonds. And uh, I guess since four years ago, I also put out my last solo record, which was The Science of Sesh. Um, with There's a New Kingdom. It was sort of 23 years of, 24 years retrospective. And the guy actually, they and the guy who did the cover of that album, uh, Kid Acne, Sebastian and Jason, and I have been working. Well, Sebastian and I have been working with him for over ten years. Like, well, we definitely started working with him before my accident, which was twelve years ago. Yeah, the Mongrels, right? Mongrels was sort of the beginning of the latest phase of stuff. But we had done some stuff for his solo records, just like Sebastian did guest vocals on a bunch of his stuff, and I produced the vocals and <clears throat> put them together and sent them to them. And then we did the Mongrels record a few years ago, and then I asked him to do the cover of the album, and 
Then he came over for the release of the record and DJed at the par- at the release party with Automator and my buddy Bozzy from Brazil and Prince Paul. It was a bit of a star-studded lineup at Max Fish in, in Lower East Side. And then he and Jason became friendly, and Jason did guest it on a, at least one song with him. And then all three of us kind of did something on his last record, um, the last Kid Acne record, because he kind of put Mogrels to bed and then relaunched his Kid Acne career. And now the four of us are doing a secret project together called Strong Captains, and... Uh. That will be coming out. I don't know. I mean, the idea was for him to come over here. I was like, let's just all be in a room together and do this instead of all this transcontinental, you know, stuff, uh, Dropbox records. You know, I, I don't want to do that with this with three different MCs. I just thought we we need to be, you guys need to be reacting off of each other. So we've got, I, I've got, I've made four tracks for them for that. And that's, you know. That was the first thing I did on COVID because I was so busy up till then. I just thought, oh, fuck, man, now I have time to like catch my breath. And oh, man, I was supposed to have got those beats done six months ago. So I immediately finished two more of the two more of those beats. And so that project's going to definitely happen at some point and uh, just a matter of when. And right now I just started mixing the new Sex Mob record. Uh, the Sex Mobs is like a, a weird downtown New York jazz quartet that I started working with back in the late '90s, I guess. And this, uh, the leader of the band came to the release party and was like, "I love this record. I love your record. It's great. We should do." You know, I said, "Well, let's do a record like that." And he goes, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, I'll just make a bunch of beats, and instead of finishing them, I'll just..." send them to you and you can finish them. And, and so I sent him 12 tracks and he brought the band in. It was been about a year ago that we, we, and he had charts and stuff and he was matching the arrangements I had made and all these crazy tempo changes and stuff. I was like, Holy fuck. Um, so I finally started mixing that record. Uh, there's still a little bit of editing to do, but it seems like my, my, the, projects that mean the most to me the ones that i'm intimately involved in and that are kind of make make a difference to me are always the ones that get done last because i'm always making someone else's record awesome well i'm glad to hear you're staying busy so i'd like to go back you know this episode we're going to try to focus on new kingdom they were like i said really important to me well i was introduced to them with Paradise Don't Come Cheap, and I guess I was 96. Um, So, you know, Sebastian and Jason already filled us in on the previous interviews a bit about, from their perspective of... All lies. ...how things started. Yeah, but I I do want to get what your first impressions were on meeting them and and the role that you eventually played in the creative process there. Right. Well, I had met Jason... He he and his high school buddies, well, his high school buddies had a band called the Four Wise Men, and they weren't particularly wise, and they would pretty much get in fights at the end of every session. And he would tag along with them, and Sensational was, was originally, that's when I first met him, would tag along to those sessions oh, too. wow. 
And so, so Jason was there. He was just this guy who was sort of hanger on guy who did a few lines here and there, but was really nice. And it was a cool guy. And then he was like, you got to hear my band. He pulls me aside one day. He's like, you got to hear my band. It's called new kingdom. I'm like, yeah, cool. Right. Whatever. And then he brings this guy in a few weeks later with like a full length trench coat and like the fucking doc Martins with the 30 laces and, crazy hair and little glasses and it was sebastian and i'm like oh shit this guy's for real so then i guess they saved up their money and they came to the studio to well this place called calliope which was sort of like a hip-hop mecca where like dela and tribe and all those guys recorded which is like where i met prince paul and ultramagnetic mcs and all that other black sheep and everything and uh so they came in a few weeks later, and I can't remember if it was the first session or the second session, but one of the first sessions, a fucking tape machine caught on fire. And I was like, well, sorry, guys. We'll have to, you have to come back next week and finish this. And we just started, you know, it was typical of back then, you know, guys would just bring in a couple of records, and then, uh, you know, I would be there, and I would sample them, and I would put the tracks together, and that's what you did back then. So it just sort of started from there and just grew from that and they would just be like freak it man just make it as freaky and weird as possible and i'd like to you know put the tape on backwards and do backwards effects and do all kinds of weird dub shit and they're like yeah yeah more do it make it weirder <laughs> and 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 of course they they completely uh endeared themselves to me like sebastian had a car back then and he drove me home and I was like, fuck, man, no one ever gives you a ride home at like three in the morning when you finish a session in the middle of fucking Midtown when it's dead. So they knew how to suck up to me, I guess. And uh, and just one thing led to another, and we finished that demo, and I brought the demo to G Street Records, and the rest is history. You know, he, they gave us a quote-unquote demo deal, which just meant that they wouldn't really pay us very much money to work on a record for a year and a half. And that's how we did Heavy Low. They sent us to England for, I don't know, a month or something. And we went over there and recorded in their studio in the basement of their office. And we would just eventually come in later and later every day to the point where like they would be leaving. Everyone in the office would be leaving and we would be staying. And we'd come like with bags full of beer and vodka and weed and what have you and i'd just be down in the basement doing the, my thing putting the music together and jason sebastian would be upstairs rifling through the desks of of the every executive there like yo i found queen latifah's contract and yo check this out <laughs> so it was it definitely had some good times there and uh and then we, you know, went back to, I think with the original money that we got, we, we, we went out to the Bronx to this record store where one of the ultramagnetic guys worked. And I bought like almost every breakbeat record they had. And then we went out to Long Island and bought Prince Paul's old S900 sampler. And I bought the, like the cheapest drum machine and a four track tape deck. Like it was really like bare bone shit. And we set that up in Sebastian's living room. And that's how we wrote all the songs for for Heavy Load. But then when we came to do Paradise, I was like, okay, let's step it up a notch. And we bought an eight track, reel to reel. And by then I had sort of some of my own gear and we bought two little mixing boards. 
and we set that up at my house in Williamsburg. And Jason lived right around the corner at the time, and we just sort of dug in and made that record there. And then, you know, eventually took it to the different studios for overdubs and mixing and whatnot. But that was essentially, you know, written there on North 7th Street. Yeah, I felt like um, Paradise Don't Come Cheap was definitely a progression from the first album, but I felt like there was a pretty big difference in the sound as far as um, just it felt more expansive, more psychedelic. So I was wondering if you could talk about it all. What do you think accounted for the difference in sound? Was there a different approach, different uh, kind of mindset going into it? Absolutely, uh, absolutely premeditated. You know, everyone kept saying, oh, my God, I love Heavy Load. It's so great. What's, what's the next record going to sound like? I was like, I don't know, but it won't sound like this one. I was, you know, and, you know, I, you know, convinced those guys, like, we're not going to make the same record again. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, of course not. And we just dug in a lot deeper. And, um, you know, I played guitar on it more. It was just more, it was just heavier and you know we had seen sort of the power of the heaviness just touring the first record so we just thought like let's just get heavier and you know listening to a lot of p-funk and hendrix and just and sun raw and weird music all kinds of weird music and shit so it just we were all definitely on the same page of just wanting to really try to take it to the next level yeah, it definitely seemed like the first one almost sounds like it's from the 90s to some degree. It's still definitely in its own world, but the the next one, it feels timeless in a way. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the idea is, you know, you don't, I don't I'm, I'm not really interested in making records that just sound like the flavor of the month, you know, it definitely was, there was an eye on trying to make something that was lasting and that was meaningful to us. Can you talk about the uh, general reception of the two albums, like from the the critical side to the to the audience to the how the label regarded it as a commercial product? You know, from the first album to the second album, I don't know if there was a difference or we were generally ignored by everybody. We got a few, you know, we got a few choice critics things. I think. Um, a certain response that was good and like certainly people on our side of of the sort of left wing of things liked it but it was generally you know um disregarded by hip-hop people and by rock people and certainly by pop it wasn't pop by any means um the label was always looking for a pm dawn hit type thing but you know we weren't going to be those guys I don't think that they marketed it very effectively. They could have, they could have done a lot better job at that for sure. But, um, yeah, I don't, I'm not really aware of a huge amount of enthusiasm. I don't know if it was at the time, but at least over, over the years, you have a, a rabid cult following. Did you feel, did you have any sense of that in the beginning or even now? Yeah, I'm not really tapped into that kind of thing. Um, yeah. I mean, there was definitely we. I mean, we got great response to a you know 
with a small kind of audience in England. Yeah, you went on tour in Europe, right? Or yeah, we mostly in England and a little bit in in Europe, but mostly England. And uh, there was definitely more of a fan base there. I think it was amazing that they they even gave us the money to make all those videos and stuff. I mean, the fucking budget for one of those videos is probably 10 times bigger than a budget. Any, and those weren't even big video budgets, bigger than any record budget that we get anymore nowadays. Well, I guess that wasn't that out of the norm at the time where a major label would take chances like that and, you know, fund two albums for a group they weren't sure about. It's the way it should be. Yeah. I'm really into Tricky. And uh, for people that don't know, New Kingdom had a collaboration song with him that was on uh, his some maxi single that came out in 95. Moody, broody, Buddhist camp. Uh, he and I kind of put that beat together and um did he reach out to you all or I think so it came I mean I think he was on on island yeah and uh G Street was part of island so it sort of came through that conduit around that time like we you know we did a song with David Byrne we did a song with the heads which was the talking heads without David Byrne that was just a remix they but you know the thing with david Bur- so you know back you know it was just another one of those things where you just randomly someone comes into the studio that you've never met before and you just make a song with them yeah i was also surprised to uh see the collaboration with dell um that seemed like a kind of two different worlds coming together that i wouldn't have expected um yeah, yes and no i mean dell dell was a lot more experimental and stuff than people thought certainly his first record was more commercial but he got a little more out there as it went and we approached you know that was definitely us approaching him Mm. and we went out and i mean usually when you do a remix with someone you just send the tapes and they just do a remix but um i don't know why they let us go and actually collaborate with him we didn't really collaborate with him i mean he just played us a bunch of beats and we were like oh that one's cool let's use that and just basically did another version of the song like you know he didn't match up against the the tempo of our original or anything he just he just laid the beat and um you know we were there in the studio with him and he laid the beat and then you know jason and sebastian just did the vocals again Mike Ladd is another artist that you've worked with that I really look up to. And um, as they call him in Brazil, Mikey Ladge. <laughs> and Mikey Ladge, good friend of mine. Yeah, and I got him to pose some questions for you. He asks, I was confused by this at first, but what is... Sure, it's an in-joke. Right. What is the Bob James origin story, he asks? Uh, Bob James, sort of an in-joke between... It started out as sort of an in-joke between uh, John Medeski and I. 
we came together to do the next record. And I'm like, a Rhodes? Because he always played Wurlitzer. And I'm like, a Rhodes? What the hell's going on with this? And he said, uh, oh, he said, yeah, yeah, it's, it's cool, man. It's cool. But you got to put it through an amp so it doesn't sound like bad games. So then it was just, everything just became bad games, bad games. And my current partner, Tom Camuso, who's been my partner for almost 20 years at our studio, we sort of unofficially called our studio Bob James. And then we would call each other Bob James. And we would call like weed would be Bob James. So that's the origin story. And it just sort of, you know, spiraled from there. I mean, it it somehow leaked into the thing with with Mike and Vijay and I, and and then there became then there was the TRBJ, the real Bob James. If you t- actually talking about Bob James, it's like oh TRBJ. This question, I believe, is completely rhetorical. But um, how much did the Queen of England pay you and the Dream Warriors to pioneer the Canadian takeover of hip hop? <sighs> Oh, that's that's good. Um, you never did work with the Dream Warriors, did you, or have you? No, but I did work with a guy, this kid named K-Cut, and he had a brother. Oh, they were in Main Source. Main Source was large professor and these two brothers from Toronto. But yeah, that's that that's a very Mike Ladd question. Yeah, I need to I need to do my research with the Dream Warriors because I always saw them in like the hip hop R and B section, and I I had no idea what it was, but I was always intrigued. They their big hit they sampled a Quincy Jones song. But do 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 do. I'm talking all that jazz. Now what's my definition? My definition. My definition. My definition is this. My definition. My definition. But yeah, no, I never worked with them. I, I I worked. I went up to Toronto like twenty five years ago and worked with some some guys up there. Uh, but never, yeah, never really. Pen- I never really penetrated the Canadian hip hop scene. Uh, tell the world about working with Mister Dead, and for people who don't know, who is Mister Dead? Mister Dead uh, was an artist that was on Word Sound. He's a rapper. And makeup artist, he's 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 really a very talented makeup artist. And the first time I met him after New Kingdom split up, the very first ever truck stop show was at this place called the Cooler, and it was a Word Sound curated night. And Dad was dressed up like he has a character called Shrimp Daddy Pimp. And he's like dressed in old seventies outfit and he had the makeup on to make him look, he kind of looked like Fred, like a six foot five inch version of Fred Sanford with like, you know, the mohair suit and like probably had, he had a pimp hat on and, and I was backstage just hanging with this guy. He goes, I'm shrimp daddy pimp. And I'm like, Oh, it's Scotty Harden. He's like, yeah, son, it's all about the illness. And I was like, oh, wow, this this old guy's ill. And he was drinking Curvoisier or something and got really fucked up. I don't even remember the next time I saw him and met him, it was Mr. Dead. And he's like, yeah, we met before. And I'm like, no, we didn't. And he goes, yeah, Shrimp Daddy Pimp. And I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, that was me. And and he he tells the story that he actually you know rode the subway 
to that gig from East New York and, and got on, got senior citizens fare <laughs> and rode all the way to the cooler for 50 cents or whatever. So, you know, we became friends and I produced some tracks for him. And we actually went um, on tour together on the one word sound tour that I did. We toured in Germany and France, like, I guess right after Kill Dog E came out. This was in 2000. And uh, working with Mr. Dead is always pretty funny. It's the big show with big flows. Cats ask me where I get these fucking It doesn't matter where I get my fucking style. To your P's and Q's and learn the rules as the room expands and the man, you still a fool. Cats talking about spit sight. Here's something to make you sorry as cats, you ass spit sight. Cats talking about spit sight. Yeah, he sounds like a character. Um, like you said, he was on Word Sound with you, and Word Sound is something I'd really like to talk about because um it, you know, put out your solo album, Kill Dog E, Return of Kill Dog E, which I played a lot, and then various compilations that you were part of. They put out the first few sensational albums, which are really important to me. The Prince Paul solo. We did the movie, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. The uh, What was that movie called? Crooked, starring Sensational as himself. Yes, yes. Well, actually, I just... Actually, speaking of recent things, I just finished yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. I just finished mixing the new Spectre EP. Oh, cool. So Spectre is the ill saint, a.k.a. Skiz Fernando, the head honcho of Word Sound. Yes. And uh, I met Skiz through Prince Paul. He came to the studio when we were doing Vernon Reed's record. And, you know, also nice to meet you, whatever. And, you know, Skiz is always very mysterious. But it turned out that he lived right around the corner from me in Williamsburg. And... You know, I'd go over there and like fix his sampler and show him how to set things up. And we eventually did did a few collaborations together and made made a few tracks together. And yeah, I mean, he put out Crazy Wisdom Masters, which was the Jungle Brothers record that Warner Brothers refused to put out because it was too weird and. He put out the original version of Psychoanalysis by Prince Paul, put out my solo record. Hard Gangster Rappers MCs with Gats. Yeah. Yeah, I never knew those guys. I think they were from Seattle or something. That was that was one of the few groups that were kind of outside of our orbit. Because mm. most of the people were like, you know, people inside of our scene, um, you know, in Brooklyn and in New York. But yeah, that was an ill record for sure. Hello, don't be afraid. You might not get brave. And as my mind goes astray, I believe in the God that people who do not believe in God believe in all the world. I was born in Brit, born fed and in Brit. Always late in bed because my brain is like... Yes, Skiz has uh, promised to speak to me at some point in the future for the podcast. So, um, Oh, cool. We'll get the inside scoop from him, but um, he made a movie about about word sound as well. Oh, really? What's that? I don't know. It's called, it's called the history of word sound or something oh, like that. I'll have to find that. I think it became out before Crooked. I'll have to check that out if I can. Yeah. 
So let's go back to uh, Sensational. What were your impressions of his approach to production? He once came into my house when I had my studio set up in, in, in North 7th Street, and he kind of stumbled in and played a couple of notes on the keyboard, and somehow I recorded it, and then tapped out a couple of things on the drum machine, and, and, and I just looped it, and I was like, wow, that's an amazing beat. And the guy just sort of made it sort of stumbling. Um, so, he, I mean, you know, I'm like, well, he's the closest thing that I've ever come to meeting anyone who's an idiot savant because he's really brilliant. Like, he's a really brilliant guy. He's a total pain in the ass. And, uh, you know, I was so mad at Skiz when he brought him over to my house one day because I'm like, I fucking told you never to bring him over here. I don't want him to know where I live. Because then, like, two days later, he shows up knocking at my door trying to sell me a mixing board that his friend had just, you know, found, you know, pulled it off the back of a truck or something like that. And like, yo, we got this mixing board for you. And I'm like, I don't need that. I got a mixing board. But yeah, I mean, he, you know, he's great, a great rapper and his production loaded with power, I think is probably his best record. And, you know, when he brought other people in to do the production, it was just a lot less interesting, except of course, the song he did on Kill Dog E, which is brilliant. You know? <laughs> he's, I mean, he's great. He's, 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 he was, well, when I first met him, he was, well, when I first met him, he was Colin. And then he was, then he reemerged as torture and was with the Jungle Brothers for a little while. And then he became sensational. As I do the caper with my pad, I program the drum beat to make you move your feet. Check you want melodies, you hear them dirty words, speak like graffiti, arithmetic, hip hop, lunatic, ballistic, on the track, shoot how I rock, sensational. I'm just going to cut into the interview real quick because I wanted to mention that Weird Rap has actually been doing a fundraiser for Sensational. You know, as I mentioned, I think he's an amazing, groundbreaking artist and he's been in a bit of financial trouble. So we are just helping to raise money for him. And you can find our GoFundMe for him at the weirdrap.com website. Anything in particular that you'd like people to be checking out right now or anything that's on the horizon that you want people to be aware of? Well, look for my next record. It's coming. Solo? Uh, it's it's going to be an, another producer record with a bunch of different uh, vocalists. Who knows when that'll be done? And then, of course, look for the... Given that this is the Weird Rap podcast, look for some more Weird Rap coming from Strong Captains. Yeah. From the three of us and our brother from another continent, Kid Acne. Yeah, I mean that's almost it's almost like a closest thing we're gonna get to a new new kingdom project for the time being, I guess. Pretty much. Well, thank you so much for your time, man. Okay, well my pleasure. Thank you, Jonah. Thanks for caring. So there was a whole other interview that we're not including in this episode it was beverly fresh's interview with king eulis who is a frequent collaborator and friend of nosage and they talk about some really interesting things but the sound quality is not it's not up to the weird rap standards which have not been that great so far i'm working on improving them but um, 
the quality on this recording is is worse than what you're hearing in the rest of the episode. And also, this episode is really fucking long, so that separate interview, if you'd like to hear it, is available for free at patreon.com slash weirdrap. What is more, Beverly Fresh, King Eulis, and Nosage collaborated to put together a YouTube playlist in honor of this episode, which is a collection of sort of foundational avant-garde rap music. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Also at patreon.com slash weird rap is the bonus episode. It costs three bucks. You get that and the rest of the bonus episodes. That consists of, I think, 35 to 40 minutes of extra interview footage. Really interesting, high quality stuff but just less integral to the thrust of the main interviews. Um, but it's, it's put together with the same attention to detail and care and interstitial music and whatnot. I'm very proud of them. I think they're, they're very good. If you like Weird Rap, the podcast, you'd, you would equally enjoy, I think, Weird Rap, the bonus episodes. And... New Kingdom fans, I think, will find this very intriguing. Scotty Hard gave to me the original New Kingdom demo tape. That's uh, three songs and an intro and an outro, which have never been released. Well, at least one of them came out later redone on the first album, but the other stuff is completely unreleased and pretty interesting. I made a medley of it for the bonus episode, so that's there too. It also includes Scott Harding talking about the forthcoming Ka album, if you're interested in that, as well as uh, his experience working in prison with the Lifers group. Um, Nosage talks about word sound recordings, PM Dawn, and performing Intoxicated while Sebastian talks about his formative days in the New York live music scene. And, you know, you can get that. You can just pay once and then cancel your subscription and get all the episodes. Or you can stay subscribed for three bucks a month. You get at least one uh, bonus episode. If there's at least one subscriber, which there isn't, at least one subscriber would force me to continue making the regular and the bonus episodes once a month. At this point, there's nothing really forcing me to do it, so think about that. Patreon.com slash weird rap. Yo, yo, it's your man Fatboy Sharif. Shout out to my brother Roper Williams. We got that Gandhi Loves Children album out right now. Gandhi Loves Children. I'm actually, I'm creepy. Stashed underneath me. A Latin believes me, stocking cat with a genie, Alaskan by train, Kanye on a tirade for five days, my sex slaves were suicide saved. Oh, I'm bugging? Y'all are tuned in to weirdrap.com for the most illest experimental progressive hip-hop. Yeah. I wanted to talk about something I've been thinking about lately, which is this word optics which uh is being used in like i don't know woke circles and just political circles in general about um 
how something appears to the observer, regardless of what is actually going on, what the motivations of the people involved in the news story or the image or whatever it may be, how it looks is uh, understandably an important thing to consider when you're behind some kind of a political action or a, a PR campaign or something, you know, how it's perceived is very important. So the optics of something are a consideration to make, but um, I've heard it being used recently around the phenomenon of the white hip hop journalist, which I don't know if it's right to call myself a journalist, but um, definitely white, and I'm I'm trying to be something of a journalist. And you know, uh, the comment on Twitter was basically like, I believe it was directed at authors of hip hop books. Most of them are white, and how the optics of that are bad. And they went on to say that you know this is not to say that a white person can't do good journalism around hip hop, but just think about how it looks that it's mostly white people doing it. And I, uh, you know, it's it's something I've always thought about to a degree um, as a old white guy talking about a primarily black culture. At least it began as a primarily black culture and being the kind of counter current weird minded uh rap fan that i am i think i'm especially walking a fine line between challenging and insulting hip-hop artists and audiences i feel like it's my job to shine a spotlight on some of the more progressive groundbreaking artists in hip hop that are by their nature, not going to be accepted in the mainstream. They are doing music that's challenging to the culture. And I am also challenging hip hop culture in my own way, not just by supporting these artists, but also by some of my own critiques of more mainstream hip-hop or elements of the music that I feel like is less interesting. And I think it's my job, I think it's everyone's job to criticize art to a degree so that we can try to make it better, so that we can evolve. And... I understand and I have always understood that the fact that I'm an old white guy doing that is not going to be looked upon kindly by some people. I get that. At the same time, I feel like it's something I'm inspired and driven to do and I feel strongly about it. And I think that I do have something to offer the culture, even though to the casual observer, it might seem like I'm making light of, of the culture 
For example, uh, Weird Rap recently released this um, mashup of West Side Gun and Enya. It's silly. It's having fun with West Side Gun and um, who I I think is, you know, I enjoy West Side Gun as an artist. Uh, I think his vocals and delivery are interesting. And I don't think much of his lyrics, but, but I think he has a certain unique spirit which I admire. And by overlaying him on this melodramatic, sort of ridiculous song, it could be seen as sort of taking the piss out of West Side Gun. And that was not really my intention. I don't know what my intention was. I was just inspired to do it because I thought it was fun. And I knew going into it, I knew this is going to diminish the credibility of Weird Rap as a serious music media entity because it's a joke and because some people may see it as a disrespect to the culture of hip hop. And I I hope that people don't see it that way, but I I, I know that some people will. And that's just, uh, that's just how the cookie crumbles, I guess. Um, this is, you know, weird rap by the way I'm oriented will continue to, offend some people and to the casual observer it may appear that i'm just some tourist hipster who doesn't even understand the history of the culture who's just making light of it and um i would strongly disagree with that it's uh it's the music i grew up with and the music that i have always held dearest to my heart and it means a lot to me, and I take it very seriously. I also recognize and respect that rap music has been a medium for the black revolutionary struggle against socioeconomic and political oppression, which is a struggle that I have supported and will continue to support. At the same time, I... I'm not adverse to having fun and being silly about it. So I don't know. I think I I could be wrong in that, you know, beyond just the optics, the way it looks from the outside. Perhaps it is doing something actually harmful to hip hop culture. Maybe I am having a negative effect on that in some some way but i don't know what do you think tell me tell me if you have an opinion on this uh you can write me at weirdrap3000 at gmail.com and i don't think i really expressed myself very well or completely so i am planning to write an article and put these thoughts more in depth and concisely at weird dot substack.com which is where i also publish the around monthly weird rap newsletter kind of a summary of the various things i've done uh journalistically around weird rap like the most important ones at least are collected there in that newsletter and i also always include some other stuff that you can only see there so you can subscribe to that for free at weird.substack.com. Um, yeah, the podcasts that I would like to recommend this time around are number one, 
Stories About Songs that's hosted by Kevin Beecham. And it's this uh, storytelling podcast, which is like kind of personal anecdotes of this guy's experiences around hearing rap songs that made a big impact on him. Kevin Beecham has apparently had a long career in the uh, hip hop music industry, brushed shoulders with a lot of rap artists that I know and love. And, um, and he's got stories about them production wise. It's, um, it's very well edited and with a backing music and such. So check that out. It's, it's spelled hashtag stories about songs with no spaces. And last time I recommended the podcast in search of sauce, which since I recommended, I realized that they kind of piss me off just the sort of authority with which they present their opinions as if what sounds good to them is objectively good. And they also seem to present themselves as experts in hip hop, but only seem to have knowledge of its history dating back to the early or mid nineties. And they seem to know very little about underground and alternative hip hop history. I still think it's an entertaining podcast, but I say that because they have a spin-off podcast, which I think is just in the same RSS feed um, called Stirring the Sauce. And I just heard the first episode of it, which is all about Ice Cube and his recent forays into politics, you know, how he got behind the Trump campaign. And it gets a little bit into some other rappers and how they've recently gotten involved in politics, but it's a super in-depth, nuanced, and thoughtful look at that story, particularly Ice Cube's um, involvement with the Trump campaign. So um, that's uh, Stirring the Sauce, episode one. And some new music. Aaron Cartier has an album out called Aaron Cartier Best Dog. It's fairly stupid lyrically. The lyrics are just trash. But the music is really fun, noise rap, kind of like, I think of it as like if um, Clipping were to do a SoundCloud style album. Chip the Black Boy Multiversal War is probably in the running for weirdest rap album of the year. A falsetto rap by a puppet, ostensibly, but it's very well constructed lyrically and musically, so I I highly recommend that if you can get past the high-pitched squeaky vocals. For the eyes of the transfixed, transfused a fine safe harbor in the minds of your sons and daughters. Ascending ladders, rendering lattice work, reinforcing, shimmying, shining, polishing the surfaces of the cathedral in which shall be worshipped is the black aborted one. And we got Mortal Glitch by Na. I think he's based in Philadelphia. This is a weird, um, again, kind of noisy experimental rap album. 
um, just goes in all kinds of different directions. I've only listened to it once so far, so I can't really. I mean, it's good, I think. I think it's worth checking out. Nah, N-A-H, Mortal Glitch. will be uh links to all of this all this stuff i'm mentioning in the show notes and ebony tusks is the name of this group their first album is called heal thyself and again a noise rap it's um i like it Big enough for you to fade away behind a bedroom brittle motor rubble, but I'll notice Hands up in the air as if you ever doubted Not another word, we got you and your mess surrounded This is what it is and you can never stop us Catch us riding circles I guess I really love noise rap or it's been a very noise rapish month because I also have to mention the new clipping album I hold clipping to pretty high standards and their new album did not disappoint me. Visions of Bodies Being Burned is the name of it. He run the motherfucking city, it ain't nobody check the lock every time he walk by the dump. Never parked right outside where he lived. He don't want his ride outside his crib. Cause they might roll by, recognize it, and then come inside at night ready to fire with. Guns like he ain't got none. Jokes on them when it's busy way a ton. Get out the car slow, always walk, never run. Find a busy black, keep his hand locked. And finally, Aesop Rock released a new album. There's a lot of talk on the internet about whether or not Aesop Rock should be boycotted. For one, he's on the label Rhyme Sayers, which a lot of people are boycotting because of some of their other artists being accused of um, abuse. And even though the those artists got dropped from the label, they a lot of people feel like it wasn't handled well enough they felt like it was a disingenuous dropping of the artists and that maybe a lot of the remaining artists and owners of the labels have their own abuse issues or being disrespectful towards women and uh there's further allegations against Aesop about um him possibly being manipulative and maybe verbally abusive in a past relationship that he had and um you know there were no clear allegations against him just vague vague ones um so it's hard to know but we get into the discussion if you're interested at facebook.com slash groups slash weird rap that's the weird rap group on facebook um everyone is welcome to join our group we uh post a lot of rap music there and talk about it a bit and it's a nice nice little group i think yeah again uh we got the bonus episodes at patreon.com slash weird rap we got the weird rap t-shirts those are available at weirdrap.com, which is also where you'll find all our all this all sorts of things uh including also the weird rap band camp which is where i uploaded the uh the aforementioned West Side Gun and Enya remix mashup thing. You can write in 
to the show at weirdrap3000 at gmail.com. Tell me what you like, what you don't like. Uh, Let us know what guests you would like to see on future episodes. Better yet, let the potential guests know that you would like to see them on future episodes. And uh, this episode has been way too long, so I'll just kind of end it here. But uh, I will just say, finally, if you enjoy this, please... Please, for the love of God, review. Give us a rating and a review. There's like over 500 people downloading each of these episodes. How many of them have reviewed? One. One person. I mean, come on, please. Just, it takes like five seconds to rate it. I think seven people have rated it. One person reviewed it. That's rude. Just please review it, rate it. I even made it easy for you. You can just go to weirdrap.com slash rating. If you're on a phone, it should open up your podcast app. If you're on a laptop, it will take you to a page where you can click the link that says listen in Apple podcasts, and then you click the ratings and reviews link. And I actually just checked and there's two reviews. So thank you for the other person that left review and gave me some constructive criticism that I should lose the monotone delivery. And I thought that myself, which is why in this episode, I am doing all this talking unscripted as opposed to before. So I hope it sounds more lively. Please let me know. Till next time, do like Divine Styler and Nassage. Shake your cool. And be the weird that you want to see in the world. It is weird.